shouldn't hurt animals, should they? No, they shouldn't. Animals shouldn't hurt people either. Well, that's kind of different. Her breath will breathe and she'll remember the time she had with you. But it's not so simple, is it? The ritual of the return binds you to Wakewood. Oh, my baby. Oh, my baby. Is this for real? Alice, are you a normal little girl? Why don't you look at me? She's not right. We must put Alice back in the ground where she belongs. Do it She's fine. She's our little girl. You have to obey the rules, Patrick. There's something amiss. Don't look at her. Look away! Look away! Look away! Hello and welcome back to Scream Addicts Hammer Pub. I am Jinx, your co-host. I am sitting here with my co-host, Sally Chapel and Paul Farrell. Gang! It's been... Actually... This is the part of the podcast where I say it's been a while, but it's actually only been a week. Yeah. Yeah, I, we're, not, we're not that far off. We're not. I, it's, you know, I usually lament how long it's taken us to get back together and to talk, and then I missed you all and everything, but it's only been like, like seven or eight days. Like, <laughs> I don't you, So you didn't miss us. Yeah, wow. Saying. Offended. Well, as you much as call. normal, like, I, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder, and you all haven't been that absent. So, yeah, you know, I'm. So, I, I don't mean that as a slight. I'm sure. Come, did you really miss me? Yeah, when I, I got that, that good news, you guys were the first people I told next to my mom. You did get some great news. Why don't you go ahead and tell listeners out there what your good news is? Because this episode is going to be going up pretty quickly after we record, and I want everybody to celebrate with us. So, in nine days, I get to make a seven-hour trek to Sault Ste. Marie, where I'm going to start in a new horror film, and I get to spend three weeks on location. It's going to be awesome, and it's... I can't say a lot more, but it's about, like, possession and satanic cults and exorcisms, and let's just say all of that happens to me. Wow. That's amazing. I love that. I cannot... This is already, like, one of my most anticipated movies, so... uh, yeah, I cannot wait for that. So congratulations on that. That is awesome. So excited. I so many weird updates. <laughs> I do not have any uh any news on par with that. Paul, how about how about you? you, you got I got anything? nothing. Okay. <laughs> so we're just gonna go ahead and move on. You know what? I take that back. I do have a pretty important announcement to make. Would you all like to know what it is? I would love yes. to know. What is it? We have a we have a guest. Ooh. A tomato meter approved film critic known for her website, the blogging Banshee, as well as contributing to other sites, including her column Uterus Horror for Certified Forgotten. Everyone, put your hands together and welcome Molly Henry to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Now, Scream Addicts listeners will remember Molly from her previous episode on the show, like pre-Hammer Pub Scream Addicts. She was kind enough to come on. Uh, Molly, I think it was near the very beginning of the pandemic, we chatted about killer clowns from outer space. Yes, and that honestly was one of the favorite, my favorite podcast guest spots I've ever done. That one was a very fun episode to do. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, and same here. Yeah, that was uh, was an absolute blast. I remember we recorded for 
was it something like an hour about killer clowns and then we just chatted like horror movies for like two hours after that it was it was a blast it was yes, it was a great burst of sanity during like the insanity that was happening at that time that we weirdly enough are still living in right now all these years later yes honestly i think that was the most human interaction i had had in a long time at that point as well since i'm pretty sure i was unemployed at the time as well Oh no. <laughs> it was it was it was a weird time that but yeah, no, that was that was definitely a ray of sunshine. So thank you again all these years. What like two years now? So two years later. Uh and Hammer Pub listeners out there, if you have not yet listened to that episode, definitely seek it out. I think we had a really fun chat about a great movie. And also I'll go ahead and ask this again. It's been two years since we recorded Killer Clowns. I would have thought that our talk might have started something but we we yet live in a world without a killer clown sequel it's i wish there was and i know i think that's something that the i don't know if it's something that the brothers would ever actually do even if they had the opportunity just because it's been so long and they've moved on and done other things but i mean clearly people still like it because there are constantly horror t-shirt designers that are coming out with new killer clowns matter space designs even Spirit Halloween had a bunch of killer clown stuff this year, which I definitely went and bought <laughs> when it came <laughs> when it opened in town. So you you would think that the market is definitely there for it, but I just I don't know if it's ever going to happen at this point. We need like the Halloween eighteen version of Killer Clowns where we bring back the cast from the original movie, just older, kind of pissed off, and uh, <laughs> you know they they want to meet out some vengeance on the uh, the. The clowns, as it were. I'd be down for that. I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah, I. that sounds like a great idea. Let's make Trilogy. it happen. <laughs> Trilogy, maybe. I don't know. Middle installment, killer clowns kills? I don't know. We, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it, It'll be something. I don't know. I would watch and Clearly, it. if there were multiple, one of them, like all good horror franchises, we would eventually have to actually go into space. Of course. So the last one can be killer clowns in space. <laughs> in space, no one can hear you clown? Mm-hmm. No. That's it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's the one. You got it in one. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I would I would still watch the hell out of that. Uh, no, you could do like do. the reverse aliens thing, you know, how we had alien and aliens. We've already had killer clowns. Can we just bring it back to like maybe one killer clown like minus the mm. s and just focus on one little dude running around like horror movies are all about reducing the budgets now so i don't know i would watch that we are spending a lot of time talking about killer clowns and there's nothing wrong with that so we can just continue doing that for the rest of the recording time if you all wish anyone i could queue up killer clowns yeah i mean i could <laughs> probably down where all right so this is the part of the show where we actually talk about our recent watches molly you are our guest what would you like to tell listeners out there uh movie wise what have you seen recently that you would like to recommend or maybe bash you're welcome to do that too lord knows we did that last week with a certain beloved movie that will go unnamed the second week in a row I honestly, I have been kind of catching up on older classics recently that I hadn't seen. Uh, like I just watched Nosferatu, the original for the first time. Um, I'm obviously way behind on that one, but <laughs> by about, uh, you know, a hundred years. But <laughs> I hope the internet didn't spoil it for you. <laughs> Surprisingly, no. no I'm just <laughs> uh, so I really enjoyed that one. Um, 
I watched that on Shutter, obviously. And then the Fun House I just watched for the first time as well. Um, which so good. It's so funny because I, I'm so used to seeing the face of the, I mean, I'm using the term villain quite loosely for this because I don't necessarily think this person is totally villain. It's one of those more sympathetic type villains, but um, the face, like the deformed face, I've seen it a million times, but it didn't register when I started the fun house that that's what that face was from. So the reveal was still a surprise for me, which was cool. Um, yeah. That was a wild one, though. I it's it's so funny because I feel like with Toby Hooper's work, like all of his stuff definitely has his taste. Like there, you can tell that it's his work, but I still feel like this felt very different than his other films at the same time. If that makes sense. <laughs> no, it one hundred percent does. I will ask because you brought it up. Like I agree with you. You can, you know, much like with a lot of the really great horror directors great directors period but you know there is kind of that stamp that they put on each of their movies no matter how different they are you can kind of tell it's them poltergeist where do you land on that that is the toby hooper film okay <laughs> i i will fight anyone who says otherwise <laughs> a thousand percent is i agree I mean, Agreed. yes, I mean, Agreed. anytime there is a big producer, it's still going to have a bit of their flavor, but it is definitely a Hooper film. I, yeah, I always I think... liked that. Uh, oh, sorry, Paul, go ahead. Oh, no, you're fine. You can say your thought. <laughs> no, I was just, um, I, I, I remember Joe Bob saying something like, uh, you know, the corpses in the pool, that's totally Toby Hooper. All of the flashing lights, that's totally like 80s era Spielberg. Like that's, you know, it's a fusion of the two of them. And whatever that meant, like on set, like I don't know. But also, like, I kind of don't care either. Like it's fun to talk about in a way, but, you know, I don't need to. It's not a matter of like giving one guy all the credit. It's a matter of like pulling credit away from either of them. I just think it's like this beautiful, like, you know, fusion of their sensibilities. And I love that movie. And I, I, I wish there had been more. For it's sure. a shame it never yeah. got any sequels. <laughs> hey, now, I, I like the Poltergeist. Poltergeist 3 is really good. I, they are. They're just, you know, it's kind of like Jaws 2. Jaws 2 on its own is a really good movie. But um, I like Jaws 3. I Does like it, Jaws 3D. I love Jaws 3. Jaws I do 3D, too. <laughs> Jaws 3D is amazing. Ooh. And I will go to bed for it. All day. Uh, even <laughs> even it's it's weird freeze frame ending with the dolphins jumping out of the lake. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I still love it. I still love it. I I okay. So we can all agree though that Jaws four is um is worthwhile solely because of that great Richard Jenny comedy bit about it. Right? Have we all heard this? Please tell me. I have. I have heard it. <gasps> I have heard okay. It. So I am forwarding this to everyone when we're reporting. <laughs> Listeners out there, if you have not heard Richard Jenny tear into, uh, rest in peace, by the way, Richard. Uh, if you have not heard Richard Jenny's bit on Jaws 4, it is, um, we're talking hugging your sides, crying, unable to breathe, funny. I, I, I adore it so much. So, um, yeah, Molly, uh, I have to say, too, if you watch The Fun House, um, Please seek out the novelization by, of all people, Dean Koontz. Uh, there's a great story behind it. He wrote it under another name initially, but I think it's published under his own name now. 
he was basically given the screenplay for the fun house to novelize. And he realized that there wasn't enough story there to fill a novel. So he basically made the events of the movie, the final quarter of his novel. And he just made up the rest of it as a prequel. And it's this, incredible like generational horror story that if adapted would probably make for one hell of a miniseries of television it would it would make for a really good solid season of like american horror story if that's, that's interesting sort of yeah so if you get the chance definitely check it out yeah i mean that definitely i feel like i assume it kind of goes into the the carnies and their backstory i'm guessing maybe it, does to an extent but mostly it goes into the backstory of um our well i i I was going to say final girl but in you know i i guess she almost feels more like a final girl in the book rather than the movie it's strange but there's this you know it starts i think like 20 years before the events of the movie and then basically brings us up to date and it's uh it's great but it's also really unsettling at times and there is a shift <laughs> i wouldn't dare spoil it for you but for anyone out there who has read the novel and watched the movie they'll know what i'm talking about when i say that there is a uh, a change in relationship between uh uh, uh a villain as it were well again as you noted not really a villain but um a, a a threat as it were and one of their victims that makes the movie so much more icky and i'll just leave oh. it there if you uh if you read the book please report back and let us know what you think yeah i mean you definitely have piqued my interest so i'm very curious to see what the the novelization is like and uh, I believe the newest paperback copy of the book has a foreword by Kuntz, who sort of explains his uh, his history with the project. So it's kind of neat. He is the biggest problem with that is, is that he's a little dismissive of the film, which kind of annoys mm. me because I think on its own it's a really good film. But I I can't hold that against the novel, which I do think is actually quite good. So interesting. Okay. Uh, what else have you seen recently? Um, I also, I'm probably going to say this name wrong, so I apologize, but I just watched um, Noroi the Curse for the first time as well, uh, which, if anyone's not familiar with it, it's like found footage mockumentary type thing, um, and I didn't realize it's the same director who did Sudeiko versus Kyoko, which I probably would have watched this movie sooner if I had known that because I, I do really <laughs> like that movie. <laughs> it's so um, good. Very different movies, though, at the same time. <laughs> this one was really, I thought it did a great job of just creating all this mythology and building on it, and there are little breadcrumbs that are left throughout the film that as you watch it, things make more and more sense. There, there were a couple things where... I, I would consider them plot holes, but again, I with films like this, I tend to be a little bit more forgiving of plot holes because part of me wonders if maybe it's a cultural thing that I'm just not understanding. Um, but I did really enjoy this one. It was very creepy. And I'm, I, I know a lot of people knock films like this, but I personally tend to really enjoy the found footage mockumentary type films, especially ones that are supernatural because they feel the most real to me and therefore they scare me the most. <laughs> No, I, I totally, I, I love that subgenre. I, I think it caught far too much hell back in its heyday. And, uh, I mean, some of the scariest movies I think are found footage like, my God, um, 
<laughs> talking about the pandemic, I think it was probably two years ago when I first saw it, but uh, Hell House, LLC, scared the living hell out of me. Um, and yeah, the curse or no, I don't know how to pronounce it either, but you're right. It is it is a very, very creepy movie. Uh, and it's weird that you're right. You would never know that the guy who directed that directed a ring grudge <laughs> crossover movie because the ring is kind of terrible. I mean, it's straight up terrifying and the grudge is terrifying. And, you know, the curse is terrifying. And then you get the movie that he directed that brings <laughs> those other two properties together. And it's kind of like fun and punk rock and cool and just, you know, it has this weird fun energy to it. It's kind of like he tried to make Freddy versus Jason and uh, I loved it. I, it was great, but it's just, uh, it was unexpected. For sure. I think the only thing that's really similar between the two is that he likes to have these characters that are mediums slash TV personalities, which there's a lot of in The Curse. So it's, and the, honestly, those were my, I, I'm pretty sure, it's been a while since I watched Sudeiko versus Kayako, but I'm pretty sure that they were like, a medium and his assistant or something and they were also tv personalities and they were hilarious and i wanted a spin-off of just them because they were the best characters <laughs> i love the um i love the priest in the uh in the crossover film who could sort of he was like a cool priest who wore like a long coat and sunglasses and he could wave his fingers around and break curses and i'm like that's a guy who should be leading a franchise. Where where are the sequels just starring that guy? We we need them. We deserve them. Where were you during Midnight Mass? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he would have had that thing wrapped up before the first nightfall. So just uh yeah, vampire's done. Uh oh god, hopefully it's not it's not too soon to call spoilers on Midnight Mass, is it? I mean, no. hasn't it been like a year? Yeah, it's been a year. If people okay. it's fair, I think it's fair them. game. And it's on Netflix, you know? It's it's on this very ubiquitous service that everyone can watch if they want to, for the most part. <laughs> All right. So, Molly, did you have anything else, or are we... Um, I think those are the main ones. I mean, I, it's, I watch a lot of horror. So, if I went through everything I've been watching recently, it would probably take a long time. Um, <laughs> probably the only other one I will add is, this was a rewatch. I... Um, rewatch green room because it is one of my favorite films i love it so very much yeah. um and it makes me sad and happy at the same time every time i watch it so. <laughs> yeah and uh, i believe it's been god how many years has it been since we since anton yelchin passed oh, that's a good question it's i mean hasn't it been at around five i want to say I think it's I remember that, unfortunately. And I'm going to look it up right now. because now I am I'm... too. <laughs> uh, 2016. Oh, my God. Yeah. Over five, That's six years ago. That is insane. Um, yeah, that guy was amazing. And he was, you know, Green Room was such a, uh, a great showcase for him to be a leading man, I think. And it's just, you know, one wonders where his career would have gone after that. It's just a damn shame. He was in, like, the Star Trek universe, too. Like, he would have taken off so hard. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, he... And even... He obviously had the big things like that, but he, like... Even within horror, he was in Green Room and the Fright Fright Night remake and Odd Thomas, which I love that movie. But He's I also in Holy Lovers Left Alive. Oh, my God, that's right. I forgot he was in that. <laughs> I had to pause and think about it's it for his boyfriend or whatever. Yeah. He yeah he's like the the assistant guy that Tom Hiddleston hires to bring him food and stuff. 
And, yeah. Well, not food, obviously, but <laughs> <laughs> guitar supplies and things like that. That's so funny. I'd forgotten he was in that. And wasn't he also in... There were two films that came out at the same time that were virtually the same premise. There was Life, Life After Beth and Burying the X. He was in one of those, right? He was in Burying the X. Life After okay. Beth was... Uh, yeah, Burying the X. Was Dane DeHaan. That was the name I couldn't oh, think Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. And then Burying the X. So he, he definitely, within the horror community, was making a name for himself. And outside of it as well, he just was in so many great films. Ugh. So Not to bring it down or anything. Now but... we're all bummed. <laughs> no, no, no. By the way, I just want to take two seconds to say that, um, yes, even though the original movie is a masterpiece, an unassailable one at that that will never be topped, the Fright Night remake is a damn good film. It's decent. Oh, I love it. <clears throat> good movie. Yeah. Like and that. that also, both that and Green Room also star Imogen Poots as well. Yeah. Love her, too. Love her. She's great. All right, Molly, all those sound great. Um, Allie, what have you seen recently? Uh, okay, so without shaming me for this, I watched the same film like four times in like two weeks because it's just so good and so fun. And it may or may not star a band of humans and it... It's it's fucking great, but I love Studio Six Six Six, the Foo Fighters horror film. I haven't seen it. I haven't so seen I, it I yet either. Be, I will not be shaming you <laughs> at all in any way. I literally it looks I, fun. It's so much fun, and it was like a pandemic movie. And then, like the day after I watched it, Taylor Hawkins died, and it was very sad. And oh yeah, it was yeah. a great big bummer. But, like, you can just tell that, well, they were all under, like, lockdown. And they kind of secretly made this film. And, like, John Carpenter helped and did the music. And it's it's just so much fun. And it's, like, one of those movies you can just, like, put on in the background and kind of tune in and tune out, too. Because you're like, ugh, I know what they're doing. And, like, they're not even, like, that good of actors. But it's just so fun to watch them interact <laughs> with each other while trying to act like they're not acting. <laughs> And I just, oh, I just, I love it so much that I had, I, I would see people and be like, guys, if you watch Studio 666, should we just like watch it right now? You know what? I'll put it on. It's cool. You're making me want to see it though. I am definitely going to push that to the top of my watch list. You don't have to be like a Foo Fighters fan because they make new music and it's so good. I, and, you're making me want to give it another shot. So I think I will. Wait, did you watch it and not like it? I, I thought we talked about this. Yeah, I uh, I caught it in theaters when it was out, and I I just I couldn't I couldn't do it. It was no, you're wrong. <laughs> no way. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Allie. What I should uh, Molly, please don't judge me for this. I know what my reaction is to Allie. Let's rewind. Let's do like the funny games, pressing the rewind button all the way to the end of Allie's review there. And then uh, this is my response to that. This is going to be a callback. I'm just going to do a couple of stretches. I'm going to crack my knuckles here. And just everybody. This time. Are you going to tell me that all your life you've been? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just going to. I'm just going to. I'm going to wait until it goes dead silent. And then I'm going to say. It was dumb. Oh, how dare you. <laughs> 
just throw in my comments wow. back in my does face. That, does that sound familiar at all, Allie? Oh my god, it's dumb. <laughs> you had that coming. Oh. You had that coming. I did. I did. And um, the other movie that I watched, and I feel like I'm gonna be definitely in the minority. I saw X, and to quote Jinx just now, it was dumb. <laughs> <gasps> Allie, no. I haven't seen it yet. Shocked so gas. <laughs> no, I'm not. Like, I, I really want to like Ty West stuff. And it's, it just, like, even when you find out the, like, I won't, I won't spoil it for Paul, but, like, the twist of the, the two characters, I don't know how to say it without spoiling it, <laughs> but, like, even that didn't make it I better. Can, I can, me. like, take my... Headphones off for a minute or something. If can, you I, want. Can, I, can I actually ask one thing about that? Because I've listened to podcasts. I've heard Ty West talk about this movie. I've seen the trailer. I've watched the movie. I've listened to you talk about it now. And you mentioned that, that you didn't want to spoil it. Am I missing something in that? I didn't think there was anything to spoil there. Like, I've oh. seen the trailer, I kind of felt like I knew what the deal was, and then I watched the movie, and it's like, okay, I knew what the deal was. I don't, I, well, there's no grand revelation, I, there's no big twist regarding those characters that I felt like, like marketing. Twist. It's just like a fun, I guess, not marketing scheme, because it wasn't really marketed that way, but like, uh, I just didn't care that Mia Goth played both characters. I'm going to spoil it right now, because it's been <laughs> online. Oh. Okay, yeah, I guess I can see. And I, I think that in, there's aspects of it that could potentially be considered spoilers, depending on who you talk to. Like, because obviously you know what's going to happen watching the movie, but I think maybe the motivations might more be the, the not necessarily twist, but the more surprising part of it. I don't know. It's because it's not even like a, even like the twist, like the very final shot, like, did nothing for me and also if you're gonna make a movie about porn show me a bunch of dicks i'm sorry but like silhouette <laughs> and then being a prosthetic like you can tell this movie was made by a dude because he's like oh no no we uh don't want to show any penises just titties on ladies and let's just really over exaggerate that like no if you're making a movie about porn everyone's fucking naked yeah very true i do agree with that like it was it, it felt almost insulting <laughs> I, but do you, okay, do you lay that at Ty West's feet, though, or do we do we have to acknowledge the very shitty realities of, like, the MPAA and the likelihood that if he had played fair in that way, he probably would have gotten slapped with, like, an NC-17? Oh, you mean, like, an X rating? Like, a, yeah, <laughs> like, it could have yeah, gotten that tied into the marketing really well. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I'm sure there are many factors that played into it, like the rating. And I, I mean, because women are expected to be naked and men are used to it, I'm sure the men in the film probably would have been opposed to it as well. Um, and also, I mean, maybe specifically for Kid Cuddy's character, <laughs> there would have been a prosthetic no matter what. Which also, like, I'm sorry, dude, but do you need to stop wearing prosthetics? Just show your dick. Women don't get prosthetics for our boobies and our vaginas, so show your dicks. Get over it. <laughs> oh, sorry. I should, except for Lily James, who had to wear a prosthetic chest because she doesn't have Pamela Anderson double Ds. But, like, other than that. <laughs> sure. But, yeah, I wasn't, uh, was not a fan. 
But if he ever releases the next, like the Pearl movie, I'm still gonna go and see it. It's still gonna get my money. Oh, but... it's it's already been filmed. Yeah. So yeah. I'm... So it's coming. It's coming. But it just <sighs> I love the like, eh. and then like me and my partner are just like both in the car being like, eh, what is this? And then we went to like a restaurant and we're loudly talking about it. So I'm pretty sure everyone was like, are they just bitching about a porn they saw? (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty great. But more importantly, Paul watched a great movie this week and I feel like he needs to talk about it. (laughs) Wow. Just going to shove the mic over to Paul. Yeah. I'm just going to say hard. I I guess, I guess I'm going to go. Uh, I'm sure the movie you're referencing is 2003's The Core, right? In which the core of the Earth stops spinning. Is that what we're talking about? Or a- Allie, that better not be. What you, are, not, have you two been not. talking in secret? It's not. <laughs> no. I just, I love to torture Jigs by sort of pretending like I'm going to talk about a movie he would not want me to talk about on this podcast. Um, I oh, she, so, so was much it Dial Code Santa again? <laughs> It was, hey, Dial Code Santa is great. Uh, Deadly Games, a.k.a. Dial Code Santa Claus, is amazing. Uh, but anyway. I love that Allie is still cackling wildly at that title. That, it's a great movie. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, no. She's she's... Let's everyone get quiet just for a second and listen to Allie. Get, this, it's, it hasn't lost any of its power for you yet. That's amazing. It's just such a stupid name for a movie. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send her a copy. I'm gonna I'm gonna Gail Weathers this shit and send her a copy. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, she's <laughs> she's talking about 1999's Ravenous. Yeah. Um, a movie that has I checked the sticker on it has been sitting on my Blu-ray shelf since 2014. Oh my god! Get this is a sickness. <laughs> Paul, <laughs> I am ill. I am ill. I I purchase a lot of movies, and most of them don't ever get unwrapped until uh, Allie makes me watch them. This is kind of like the running theme of the show: is Allie will like pick a movie I should have seen, and then just kind of yell at me to watch it until I finally do. And then when I do watch it, I love it because uh, Ravenous is like a perfect movie, oh, <laughs> and I can't believe it took me so long to see this this amazing work of genius. I also um, your live tweets about it where you're just like, wait, this is a Western? <laughs> I was so, I knew, <laughs> no, I mean, the first thing I think I texted you, I was like, this is a period piece? Like, I didn't, I knew so little about what Ravenous actually was. My favorite I, message was just David Arquette, question mark, exclamation point. <laughs> Nobody, reaction. Okay. That's the thing. You've been trying to get me to watch this movie, and nobody told me David Arquette was in it. That would have that would have got me to watch it right out the gate. But um, yeah, no, I mean it's a it was I loved everything about it, and it wasn't what I expected because all I had ever heard was that it was like it's a cannibal movie. So I'm like, okay, well that turns me off a little bit because it sounds gross. Uh, and you know, I can handle gross, but I have to be in a certain kind of mood for it. But this movie isn't, you know, it's like an art house cannibal movie, you know, I mean, the score of this film is so weirdly playful and jubilant at the, at at the, like to contrast these very bizarre, intense sequences. Um, I love 
I mean, in many ways, it's kind of a play on the whole sort of classic Lord of the Flies thing where you just you're playing with the nature of humanity by isolating a group of of people and sort of seeing how morality bends its will to whoever sort of takes charge in that scenario. Um, And it's it's dark. It's funny it's fascinating it's kind of sad it's frightening but also exciting in a and almost like an an action movie kind of way uh you know it, it teeters back and forth between thriller and horror uh and i just and, and on top of all that it's it's a one of the best modern westerns i think i've ever seen <laughs> uh i mean it's it's just shocking to me uh how how good the movie was um and the performances were all really fantastic i mean i mentioned david arquette but obviously guy pierce leads the film as sort of the the moral through line and we have to forgive it because jeffrey jones is there uh but you know we we forgave beetlejuice so uh, it, I did think I thought you were talking about Jeffrey Jones when you were like, you know, it's 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 funny, but it's frightening, but it's kind of sad. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but hey, you know, it is what it is. Uh, <laughs> but Robert Carlyle's very good. I, and th- all of the performers in the film really show up and, and do a great job. And it's the stuff in the, I really found the stuff in the cave to be affecting, um, you know, when they find the bodies and when they're sort of sneaking through there, it's just, it's beautifully shot. Uh, the lighting is really just, it's, I don't know. It's just a really great work. Um, I, Antonia bird just directs the hell out of that movie. Uh, and I kind of wish, we could have more really fascinating forward thinking horror from her. Uh, you know, I know she's made, I, I looked after seeing the movie, I kind of looked up her work. I don't know. I haven't really seen from what I recall. I don't think I had seen anything else she had made. So now I'm going to try to seek out some of her other films because if they're half the movie, the ravenous is they're, they're going to be one of my favorites. Very true. I mean, Priest is so good. And it's such a shame that she passed away. Like, it's just such a... Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. I, I, it's just... Yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad that, you know, I have a, a handful of movies of hers to discover ahead of me. But, yeah, that really is that really is a shame because clearly she's she was one of our great story storytellers. Uh, but, yes, uh, Allie, I, I, I thank you for making me finally open that Blu-ray. It was it was wonderful. Ah. <sighs> perfect movie it is and truly I'm glad you dug it they're gonna kiss yeah, each other ever do <laughs> oh yeah the only the sexual side. tension is palpable uh, it's like insane and like they've <laughs> talked about in interviews being like it could have gone either way <laughs> yeah yeah molly can i ask that we... way we just didn't see it maybe i don't know i it's anything's possible at night in that camp <laughs> molly have you seen it it's been a very long time, but I, I do remember loving it. And it's one that I've been meaning to rewatch, um, partly because I I want my husband to see it. He's never seen it. But 
trying to show, get him to watch it by showing him the trailers isn't the best option because trailers were very different back when this film came out. And it, the trailer does not do the film justice at all. 1999 trailer, yeah. Did you... Okay, the weird thing about that, I... I remember buying the original DVD release back in the day. It was uh, it was back when DVDs were like 35 bucks a pop if you wanted a collector's edition of a movie, like early days of DVD collecting. And that, which I mean in a weird way we're kind of back there now. But there was a time early on when uh you know, a normal DVD would be like 15 or 20 and then if you wanted to buy something with a lot of bonus features, it would be a lot more. And they had the trailer and it's the exact same trailer that played in theaters, but the one on the DVD actually had the film score, uh, which that amazing, my God, that film score. Yeah. In theaters, I remember seeing this trailer. It's the exact same trailer, but it was cut to a Rob Zombie song, if you can imagine. Oh, yeah. What? So, yes, there was. Uh, I what wanted, the hell? I don't know if it was more human than human. Maybe it was a white zombie song. Maybe. I want to think it was something off of Hell Billy Deluxe, but I remember thinking this is the dumbest looking movie I've ever seen because that it's so jarring. Like I like Rob Zombie. I like Ravenous, but peanut butter and chocolate, they are not, you know, you can't <laughs> just, and uh, no, that trailer, I think turned a lot of people off. I'm sure somebody in marketing was like, yeah, all the kids love the Rob Zombies. Yeah. Just go ahead. Just slap his music on there and it'll get more asses in seats. <laughs> and instead, like it, it made the movie look repellent. And, um, it wasn't until all of the reviews started coming out when I was like, you know what? Maybe I do need to give this a shot. And thank goodness that version of the trailer doesn't actually represent what the movie is at all. But if you get the chance, try and seek out that version of the trailer just as good God. Don't Molly, don't use it to try and lure your husband. in. it's it's not going to work. But uh, <laughs> honestly, that might have been the one that I show, showed him previously. I can't remember what the music was for it, but the trailer itself was pretty bad to begin with. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I wonder it's, if it's on the uh, Blu-ray I have because the I have the Scream Blu-ray and it's got a bunch of stuff on it. Ooh, check I, it out. No, if it was yeah. early days Scream, maybe now I kind of feel like they just port everything over from the DVD. And no, this is it. like an old Scream. <laughs> like I said, I've had it since 2014. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> so, I, I, it's been like ten years. You should have watched it. it it's literally almost been a decade. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and it was it was unopened like i had not removed the plastic until two nights ago or whatever the hell it was um because i'm a bad person uh so i guess uh for the sake of time i i wanted to mention a few other ones because i've been making my way through a bunch of vinegar syndrome stuff um but i'll just highlight one that i really enjoyed uh it's a movie called curfew from 1989 and, uh, you know, anyone that, that knows me knows I very much enjoy a low rent regional slasher. It's one of my favorite things. Uh, you know, this movie is very much that, <laughs> uh, it's, it concerns two escaped, uh, brothers who were convicted of murder and sent to prison and they are, <clears throat> they were sent to death, death row and now they've escaped and they're tracking down the people who sent them there. So like the lawyers and the doctor who deemed them, you know, not insane so they could be killed. And, and eventually they want to get to the DA who spearheaded their conviction. 
so you've got this weird kind of like almost like like uh like a poor man's funny games thing happening where they're going to these people's houses and kind of fucking with them before killing them meanwhile you're following the daughter of the da in just kind of her teenage exploits you know going on dates and you know dealing with very toxic football players that are trying to get with her and her having to sort of uh you know stave off their advances um and then so you kind of have these two things happening simultaneously and when they finally connect you get uh kind of like a home invasion movie uh you know featuring that girl and some of her friends and so it's kind of a manic weird energy that kind of keeps the movie going because you're just kind of hopping in and out of all these different subgenres. Um, it's really disjointed. Uh, there's a lot of weird like performance, you know, a lot of weird choices as you typically see in movies like this. Um, but man, I, it's just fun. It's just a fun, weird slasher that actually kind of keeps the tension ratchet it up um and keeps you engaged even though there's a lot of stuff that is rough around the edges uh the other interesting thing about the movie is it's starring the 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 daughter of the da is kyle richards (gasps) Uh, (laughs) i do yeah so lindsay lindsay wallace from halloween young lindsay uh who just reprised her role and uh, Halloween Kills, like, uh, Jinx's favorite movie of all time. Oh, um, really masterpiece. Yeah, it's a I think we covered last week that I uh, feel that there are worse out there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> hot takes aside, uh, curfew for, for anyone that's like me and really has a good time with, uh, you know, odd 80s regional low-budget slasher movies, uh, curfew is definitely a gem and uh, absolutely worth checking out. And... I should note the Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray, as always, uh, is beautiful. Um, the artwork's great. Um, it's got a ton of special features. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they find these people, uh, but they do. And uh, the transfer is uh, immaculate given, you know, what this movie is. So uh, definitely worth checking out next time they have a sale or if you're just looking at their stuff. Done and done. Very cool. Okay, uh, I <laughs> I will just uh, race through one thing here. I've been watching Moon Knight on Disney+. Plus. Uh, I think it's worth noting just because, well, the character is kind of rooted in old 70s Marvel horror comics, and the second episode was directed by Benson and Moorhead, and anything Benson and Moorhead does is usually a cause for celebration. It is such a strange, bizarre, quirky, funny, odd-as-all-hell TV show. It's unlike anything that Marvel has done. It feels like a big swing for them. Um, I I I wonder if it's not turning off like a lot of their fan base because of how wildly different it is from what they normally do. But my goodness, I love it. I I, I love it so far. Oscar Isaac and Ethan Hawke are great. Uh, it it looks fantastic. And uh, again, it's just so utterly bizarre. Um, and it, it, it's a very strange take on a strange character. And uh, I love that the emphasis seems to be on uh, 
you know, when you read the Moon Knight comic, it's very much, you know, they play up the idea that he uh, he has multiple personalities as kind of a fun character quirk. You know, it's like, hey, he's a superhero, but, you know, he's he's all these different characters rolled into one. And what I love about the show is that the sort of point of view that they're taking is, OK, let's do a superhero show where our superhero is somebody who is struggling with mental illness. And rather than, you know, the the. You know, the mechanics of the greater plot surrounding all of the characters regarding, you know, the villain and his goals and all of that, you know, all of that sort of takes a backseat to our lead characters, you know, sort of struggle with trying to find out who he is and, you know, what's going on and, uh, you know, having to deal with some really heavy stuff while kind of getting mixed up in this bizarre borderline James Bond at times plot that also has some heavy supernatural elements. Again, it's a weird stew of a show, but uh, but I, I I dearly love it so far. Two episodes, and I hope they don't drop the ball because uh, it's it's something kind of special right now. I think is anybody else watching it? No, but it's on my list because I love me some Oscar Isaac. Yeah, same. <laughs> I'm curious to see how they handle the. I can't remember what the proper term is for multiple personality. Is it DID? Right I think or DID? Yeah. Disassociative identity disorder. Yes. Um, Because I remember like when Split came out, uh, that came to mixed reviews because there are different points of view on if that disorder is even like an actual thing or um, and whether or not villains should be portrayed in that way. And I know Moon Knight isn't necessarily a villain, but um, there's always the concern about like the sensitivity around it. And I personally thought that like Split did a good job because even though there were personalities that were villains as a whole, the character wasn't supposed to be bad. It was just, it's like with all people, if you have a group of 10 people in a room, at least one of them is probably not going to be a good person. (laughs) So if you have (laughs) multiple personalities, chances are some of them are not going to be super awesome. So it's, I'm curious to see, I would like to see maybe I I'm going to seek out and see if there are articles about it and the portrayal in Moon Knight by someone who actually knows what they're talking about. Cause I don't clearly. <laughs> Notice I, I will say the second episode does some really interesting stuff with that, where, you know, it, it would be so easy to use it as a simple plot device, but there is some sensitivity in that, you know, while you have this character sort of struggling with figuring out who he is, you also there are some really pointed things that happen with how people regard him and how they treat him once they realize that he is, you know, having that struggle. And it's uh, I don't know. It's it's it, I again, I can't say it's wrestling with that to any great degree. But the fact that that sort of stuff is in, of all things, a Marvel show to begin with is kind of impressive in its own way. And I'm very curious to see, you know, there are four episodes left. We have four more hours left. So I'm curious to see if they, uh, you know, what they do with that moving forward. So I don't know. I'm fascinated with it so far. And uh, yeah, I would be very curious to see what you all think if you get to check it out. I will. All right. Uh, Okay, so let's go ahead and queue up our movies here. Now, for listeners out there, as we always do, we are going to queue up our movies to the very first frame. In this case, with Wakewood, it is going to be 
I think we're going to see the Hammer logo just start to peek through. Now, you might be watching this on DVD, Blu-ray, or I believe it's streaming on Shudder right now. Well, I don't believe I know because I'm streaming it on Shudder right now. But let's go ahead and advance to the very first frame. We'll do a countdown, and then we will press play and dive into this commentary. Okay, everyone ready? Let's go ahead and press play here in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and play. And here we go, Wakewood. I, you know what? Before we dive in, let's just appreciate this hammer logo again. I will never oh, not just so sort of like... stare in awe at it. <laughs> Beautiful, I love it. Exclusive film distribution. You know, that's a it's a ship and silhouette. It's it's fine. Maybe not trying as hard. Well, you can tell we're in the age of New Hammer because we get to watch like three or four logos because they <laughs> took so many different people to produce this damn thing. Where to go, films? Yeah, and speaking of which, Paul, I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, we're on movie three now in terms of release dates with New Hammer. But we're yet again discussing a New Hammer first. We had Let Me In, which was the first release, right? Mm -hmm. Then there was The Resident, which was touted as the first production Hammer made under the new ownership, which is, you know, why my Christopher Lee's participation was so celebrated. And then there's this movie. There's Wakewood, which was the third movie to be released in the States by New Hammer. It premiered in the summer of 2011 on DVD. It was released two weeks after The Resident in UK cinemas. It was on uh, uh, March 25th of that year. Except it was reported on Hammer's own website back in September of 2008 that Wakewood was their first production back since 1976's To the Devil, A Daughter, and it premiered at the 2009 Lund International Fantastic Film Festival. So we have three different movies that could all make the claim to being the first movie back for Hammer. Oh my god, they don't know what they're doing. I mean, I think they really just were trying to hype it up and get people to see their movies again since they had taken such a long hiatus. They they took a nap is what they did. That's that's a fact. I I think they were hedging their bets, too. Like, okay, we'll we'll release three of them. One of them's got to be a hit. And then we'll just kind of (laughs) go all in on whatever one that ends up being. Yeah, so it was it was it's strange. It was it was produced first, released first. But it was low budget, didn't have Christopher Lee, didn't have a wide theatrical release, and was ultimately sort of tossed on the DVD, almost immediately forgotten. So, which is a shame because, you know, spoiler alerts for this uh, for this commentary, but I actually think this movie is pretty damned fantastic. It's a good, like, folklore movie for sure. Mm-hmm. And, like, Timothy Spall is just amazing. It's I'll watch so good. Harry. Well, and for me, of the three this one feels the most sort of tied to Hammer's lineage. Um, even though they didn't make a lot of folk horror. I mean, it, the the initial movie I, I immediately thought of was The Witches, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. I, this movie just evokes that so clearly and directly. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, in a way, made it feel more, like, comfortable in their canon, it was kind of like, oh, there, there. I can draw a direct line from that to this, and it, it has a lot of the, you know, sort of the the occult stuff that Hammer played with in the '60s is alive and well here. Um, it just it, it feels of a piece with their other work, whereas like Let Me In, 
you know, we talked about how it's a vampire movie, so that makes sense, but it doesn't necessarily directly tie. So I, I, I did appreciate that about this movie. Yeah, I you know, it's funny that you mentioned the witches. I, I completely get where you're coming from with that. I mean, the small, small town, the tight knit community, there's the supernatural aspect that binds them all together. I, I was kind of getting Tygen out of this film more than classic camera. Like it feels a little more like, uh, you know, blood on Satan's claw or something like that, that we've, well, sure, we've gotten back sure. in the 70s or even something like, you know, forget Tygen, but, you know, obviously the Wicker Man, you know, you can't. Yeah. I honestly don't think you can be a full horror movie and not have a parallel drawn between you and the Wicker Man. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I adore it. So it's uh, it's obviously at this point the most low budget affair that they they sort of undertook in the early days of New Hammer. Uh, a, and I want to ask you all this. I guess first I should ask, let's go around and sort of give like a. Uh, how did we feel about this movie watching it? And was it our first time in advance of this conversation? So uh, Molly, can you go first? Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, when, when I watched this in preparation, it was my first time watching it, but I will say I made the mistake of watching it while on uh, edibles. And <laughs> especially <laughs> with this scene with the daughter in the beginning, uh, it was, it was quite traumatizing for me. <laughs> When I yeah. watched it. I was not prepared. Um and it's I definitely enjoy the film overall. There are a couple things like even that scene with the daughter when she's killed, I I don't understand how it happened. Like because dogs aren't just like, oh, you smell like lunch meat, I'm going to eat you now. Uh, which is kind of the vibe that it gives from the series of events. And if there was like I get that the dad is a vet. But I don't understand if there was a dog that potentially dangerous, how the daughter would so easily have access to it when she seemed like she knew it. I don't know. I have a lot of questions about that. But other than that, the film overall makes sense to me and I really enjoy it. And I, I actually draw the most parallels between this and Pet Cemetery. Yeah, I yeah think all totally. Very similar vibes and uh, obviously like, UK folklore versus like American folklore it's and it definitely taps into those things and has a lot to do with grief um but overall definitely love it and it's I also can't look at I'm blanking on his name now um Aiden Gillen without seeing him as Littlefinger in Game of Thrones yeah yeah <laughs> that was a real problem for me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just don't trust that guy yeah uh, <laughs> Like fucking Captain Friend Zone, like <laughs> <laughs> Captain Friend Zone. Timothy Spall though and his cane here, I love it. Um, Molly, it's funny that you mentioned the the dog thing. Um, I just started a new job a couple of months ago, and there's a guy I kid you not that I work with. He's a sales guy. He's like the nicest guy, and he's probably in his early 30s, I think. And uh, he's died four times. I'm what? sorry. What? He has died four times under four entirely different circumstances. I'm not making this up. When somebody told me this the first time, I thought they were like pulling a joke. And then I actually sat down and talked to him and he's like, no, yeah. And then he proceeded to explain and uh, he drowned once and was revived. He was, and I'm not, maybe they're all lying to me, but I swear, you know, it's been a while now. And I would have thought that somebody would have told me, it's like, yeah, we're just fucking with you, but it hasn't happened yet. So he drowned. He was struck by lightning, 
Uh, he nearly drank himself to death once. And when he was five years old, his sister was attacked by a dog. And he actually sort of threw himself in front of her and took the brunt of the mauling. And yeah, and it's just it's it's so funny that we yeah, watching this rewatching this movie didn't even consider it, but you mentioning that now, I was just kind of like, oh yeah, that's Bobby. That's one of the things <laughs> that happened to him. Um so yeah, I don't I don't know what makes dogs sort of just flip the fuck out like that, but it's 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 terrifying to me because I think of all the times like, you know, and I've ever run across like a stray animal and I'm just like, is this going to attack me? Is it not? You know, I probably should have considered that given. Oh, I never consider that. I am always pet first, ask questions later, <laughs> which is probably not a good trait to have. Um, but that scene, it is, it's the brutality of it. I, this is going to be a really weird thing for me to say, but specifically in horror films, I actually like when they show something that brutal with children i know that's such a weird thing to say <laughs> like like the first time i saw it chapter one the opening oh, with yeah. um oh my god i'm blanking on the kid's name now uh what georgie is- georgie thank you uh like because kids are not exempt from the violence in the world so i i've never understood why in in film in general but a lot of times in a horror film they shy away from having awful things happen to children Unless it's like we're coming into it later and the kid's already a ghost or something. You know what I mean? Um, so I I appreciate that they're not shying away from that bruta- brutality. And it is, it's very shocking. It's mm. quite gory. And I, I feel like just because it's a kid, it seems extra gory as well. But yes. <laughs> I do remember... Um watching Guillermo del Toro's mimic for the first time in theaters and that scene where the kids are killed. And I just remember thinking, I was like, wait, that can't happen. That's mm-hmm. a, like, there's a rule, you know, and I've just yeah. seen it broken and now everything feels dangerous and I don't know what's going to happen. And yeah, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know. It, it, it makes us feel less safe. I think, especially to open a movie that way. I mean, we're watching this and then, you know, what three minutes in kapow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was definitely shocking. Um, I was not expecting. I mean, obviously, just knowing a little about the movie, I expected the girl to die. I did not expect her to die that brutally. I I thought she'd you know not that it's you know, getting hit by a car is not brutal or something, but in a movie, you know, you 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 mentioned Pet Cemetery earlier. It's like you can show a kid with an oncoming car and then kind of the aftermath without showing all of that. You know, you can kind of cut away. The fact that this movie sort of and and granted, like its budget makes it to where there has to be a lot of like quick cuts and stuff like you you do like seeing her get mauled is very upsetting right out the gate. Um, And it, as you just said, completely sets the stage for, I don't know, the the tone of the movie, Um, because not only did these people lose a child, they lost a child to sort of, you know, carnal violence um that is going to stay with them in a way not to mention this is a, a a person whose whose career and life it is to care for animals mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're going to have to continue you know not only do, do they have to deal with this he probably has empathy for that dog because it's a because it's a, an animal it didn't you know maliciously kill his kid it was more whatever was wrong with it or why ever it did what it did was acting on instinct so he has no one really to blame or put his grief or anger into anything 
And I think that also makes it a slightly more sort of fascinating journey as they go forward, especially seeing, you know, especially because later we see more animal on human violence. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yet again, it isn't really the animal's fault per se. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's an, the brutality of the natural world is a big part of this movie. Um, which again, Jinx, you mentioned other folk horror movies. I think that's, that's a through line that also brings me back to that kind of subgenre as well. It's interesting too, that you meant the brutality of nature, because even the scene that we've already passed with the, um, where he's doing the C-section on the cow, yeah, mm-hmm. like yeah. that, I mean, it's birth, but it's, it's so graphic and it's, I tried to find out beforehand. It, that's an actual C-section that we were witnessing, right? I feel I, like because obviously the shots where you can be, see I Aiden. I think it, it has to be, yeah. But yeah, because that that looks like a real cow being pulled yeah, out of yeah. a real cow. <laughs> I said that out loud when I was. They, I was like, did I just see a real cow C-section? Like, I yeah. In my notes, is I clearly that. like it does not have the budget to pull off that sort of effect yeah. effectively yeah, especially I, I that know. realistic look well and you never see little finger actually doing it um <laughs> it's always like a cut to hands doing yeah. it and then you cut back from a different angle and uh you know there he is weaving his lies yeah i but, expected um, to find that as some kind of trivia on imdb and it wasn't there and i was so disappointed but that imdb yeah, has failed so, you it did <laughs> Can I, uh, there's so many things that I want to talk about here up top, but just this shot where they approach the house and step in, it, it occurs to me watching, I remember catching this movie back in the day and thinking that, and again, you know, it's release, it was following up Let Me In, it was following up uh, The Resident, uh, which for its, you know, its issues, which we discussed during our commentary, but I mean, it is a damned well-made movie. I just remember thinking that Wakewood, for as good as it was, felt rather cheap in some regards compared to those other movies, but watching it again, you know, it's kind of obvious that it had a lower budget and it kind of has this flat sort of digital photography going on. But at the same time, like the compositions and the colors like are still so sort of, it's still beautiful in its own way, even for the flatness, even for the digital photography. And so it, it, there's a care in the making of the movie that sort of runs counter to, you know, the, the, the obvious lack of funds that they probably had to make this film in the first place. And I, I, it just gives it a really unique sort of aesthetic that I think that a lot of movies, I can't think of too many movies that look quite like this film. And some of that must be down to the fact of, you know, I mean, the locations that they're filming in are just gorgeous. But I don't know. How did that strike everyone? Like, just visually what this movie looks like and how it was made? Uh, <laughs> well, I killed this room. No, I was waiting for other people to I say was also waiting for other people. Yeah. Nobody was waiting for somebody else to speak. Let's be honest. We were all watching the ritual unfold on screen. That's, all that goop, it was so good. You, 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 you asked that question during like the moment where this movie reveals that it's like a cult thing. And I'm always really excited when cult things happen on screen. Um, I guess my, my take on that would certainly be, yeah, agreed. I mean, this, you know, The Resident and Let Me In were bigger budgeted sleeker studio movies this this isn't 
and it and you can tell um but the artistry on display definitely is much stronger than anything we see in the resident um no offense to that movie but there's there's a lot more going on in like the composition of every frame in this film versus that movie, which has a lot of like shot reverse shot conversations and stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's less about, you know, the look and feel of the movie and more about the plot. Mm-hmm. This movie, the plot is inconsequential to the emotion being explored. Um, and it, everything you see is more of a visual cue uh, to the psyches of the characters and things like that. So yeah, I, I totally agree that there's there's a lot going on visually, even though the look of the movie, like you said, is is kind of early two thousands digital, <laughs> which is a vibe. Yeah, it honestly the this the two films that I'm going to mention aren't probably not quite as polished as this one, but something about the the. I don't want to say graininess, but it's the word that's coming to mind. And the the bleakness of it, it reminds me a little bit of the style of both Dog Soldiers and um, a movie that I just watched for the first time called Isolation, which ironically also has lots of cow stuff in it. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it's, yeah, because I watched it for St. Patrick's Day. So it's also Irish. And this was at least partly filmed in Ireland, correct? Or am I losing my mind here? <laughs> Uh, no, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, so it's it kind of has, I feel like the the style, while it doesn't look quite as, as clean as it could, it also kind of adds to the, um, the depression in the air around the, this, not just the couple, but it feels like this entire town, there's just a, a depression fog that everyone is in because of what they do and who they are and and the rituals and things like that. So it's, it it works well for this setting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And well, and I was reading up on, um, have have any, has any, anybody here seen that, that frostbite movie from that Swedish horror comedy from 2006 that the director of this was like a huge fan of? Uh, Sounds familiar. I feel like I might have. So, yeah, I was reading that, like, the look of the film. um, So David Keating was, like, a huge fan of this Swedish horror film, uh, Frostbite. I think think in Sweden it was called, like, Frostbitten or something. And uh, it's a vampire movie. It sounds a lot like um, 30 Days of Night, but like a comedy. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) It sounds interesting. But anyway, apparently the movie has a very like you mentioned a uh, foggy kind of hazy vibe um, that's supposed to be fairly dour and evoke that kind of emotion. And he apparently wanted to sort of just transpose that onto this movie. So the, and, and I, I take that to mean as sort of like the, the, the grief is, is, is a character in the movie and it's almost like infecting the colorization of everything. Um and I, I, I think that I, I wonder how similar it looks to that movie, because that might explain maybe some of the choices, because I think that was a, a fairly low budget affair as well. Yeah, didn't I think I saw that they partly filmed this in the same area as that film yeah, because yeah, he was he a fan, to, right? Yeah. yeah. So some of it was shot in Sweden. Ooh. Um, which is but, so strange if you have a limited budget to, to spend so, it on 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a, an odd, really? an odd choice, I suppose. But um, but that's also where it premiered because that film festival you were talking about, Jinx, was in Sweden. Oh yeah, the Lund Fantastic. <laughs> the Lund Fantastic. Lund. I want to go to that. That sounds fun. Same. The birds. Oh. What? Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> No, you're good. What about the birds? Talk about the cool birds, because they keep showing birds, but the keep birds going. Cool. <laughs> Yay, birds. No, it's funny. You mentioned grief a moment ago. We missed the scene early on where uh, Patrick and Louise are, you know, he comes back home from work and she is sort of laying down in what one imagines would have been Alice's room, but mm-hmm. isn't, you know, she has her things sort of scattered about. And he sort of tersely sort of picks up everything and shoves them in the bags and he wants to take them away. And she says something like, uh, what is the line? You would forget her if you could. And he feels in that moment, I, I don't know how you all felt about this, but it and I think we're kind of trained as viewers and maybe even as people to feel like, OK, he's he's being a bit of a bastard in that moment, you know, uh, for wanting That's to sort of have some people grieve. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And for wanting to throw those things out. But I'm wondering, like, what the movie's ultimate stance is on that, where, yeah, they present him as being, you know, maybe kind of unfeeling. Like, obviously, we know that he's going through his own stuff. And, you know, that's uh, it's there's that battle between them. You know, one person wants to hold on and one person needs to let go. And it's curious that he is kind of presented in a way, I don't think in a super judgmental way, but he's presented a bit as kind of the bad guy there just a little bit, I think, which is kind of curious to me because I think where we ultimately land in this movie, by the time we reach the end credits is that this is a movie that's all about the importance of letting go. Mm-hmm. And yeah, fully agree. So I'm just wondering, like I ultimately, when we get to the end of that, how do you all feel about that? Like who is right in that situation? Or is it even a situation where somebody has to be right? You know, is, is, is it more Patrick or is it Louise given where, you know, where it's all ultimately delivered? Well, I don't think either is right or wrong because they're both dealing with this horrible tragedy that's happened to them. And people do grieve in different ways, but like the ultimate end goal with grieving is that you eventually in time, and obviously they were kind of more, pushed into you know accepting it and letting go of that situation but i feel like they're both right for how they want to go about it like she wants to hold on to the memory and he's like we need to fucking move on from this and it's insanely tragic but that's you know the death of your very young daughter in a very brutal way and they both at the end come to the fact that they, you know, eventually do let it go to a, as much as any parent can, I guess. I mean, I don't have kids and I've never lost a kid. So that's my main story is that I've never had a kid. <laughs> do you think? The- <laughs> oh, God, the whole scene with the cow. Oh, yeah, this is. I know this is probably going to take away from like the awfulness and unintentional brutality of the scene, because obviously the cow's not trying to do anything bad. Um, but is it just me, or does this cow specifically look like a giant sheep? It looks like a giant yeah. <laughs> Because, again, like I said, the first time I watched this, I was under the influence, and there were certain scenes where I was like, wait, is this a cow or a sheep? You're like, I love it's- the idea you're watching going, like, that is the biggest fucking sheep I have ever seen. It's just like a sweet cow with a perm. <laughs> 
I love that. Uh, it does look like a big sheep. You are correct. <laughs> I was like, wait, did this suddenly become, what is that where sheep movie? Black sheep? Black sheep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. black like, sheep is so are, good. Are we I haven't suddenly seen that in, in that movie now? What's going on mm. here? Out of curiosity, has anyone here ever been to like a cattle farm? I have not. Yes, I have. I used to live a stone's throw off of one oh. in oh, Southern Ohio so when I was a kid. Great. I've just, I've never seen such violence happen at one. No one's ever died. At least not I like mean, that. <laughs> most people who work in a place like that would know not to get in with the animal. Like, I, I think that's the <laughs> hardest part for me on that scene is I'm like, man, this guy's supposedly someone who, like, takes care of animals every day, all day. He should know better he than to know. get in there. But anyway, um, to answer your question earlier, Jinx, I think for me that scene and really the movie at large, like, it kind of speaks to the duality of how people grieve and and how different people want to get through it or sort of wallow in it right like so part of the problem with grief is that as a society we don't we don't really help people understand their emotions in early enough age and we kind of either force them to hide their emotions or teach them that it's not okay to feel things too strongly. You know, it's like, oh, if you're sad, don't let people see you cry and like this, that, and the other. And then it it creates these really negative side effects where like in that scene, he's like, hey, let's just get rid of this stuff. Let's move on. He just wants to get past it. Mm-hmm. But in so doing, he's not actually dealing with his grief. So that's not healthy for him. And then at the same time, she's sort of allowing herself to feel those things and doing what I think is ultimately the healthier, more difficult thing. And, but she's in a partnership with someone that isn't in that same place and is unfortunately acting out as a result of that, which is damaging to her and to him. And ultimately, more importantly, their relationship, which is something that really could help them both if, if if they were able to connect in some meaningful way. Um, And I think the, the sad reality of that is, is that's why people are so susceptible to wanting a quicker, easier solution rather than taking the long, hard road of slowly figuring out how you're going to keep on breathing with this weight attached to you. Um, and I, 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 I think the movie has a lot of scenes like that, but I think that one, so, you know, is he the villain? Is he not the villain? I, I don't think it matters. I think it's just more about the disconnect that's existing between them as a couple. do you think you know you mentioned that was a healthier thing like what she's doing but i wonder if you know what was she purging all of that like was was it a catharsis that she was say in the middle of or was she being dragged down by it do you think given everything that comes later like everything that she does everything that they do really together like leads me to think that you know, supernatural forces are not daughter brought back or not, you know, all of that stuff aside, like that, that couple was always going to ruin no matter what, you know, I, I, it just feels yeah. like they were, they were, I, I they mean, were damned no matter what, maybe it's hard to know. I mean, cause we don't know them other than in this state, you know, we don't know anything about them really. We don't know what their relationship was like before this. We don't know what sort of communication they had previously. Certainly horrible things have a tendency to reveal problems, you know, that might've always been there. Um, And the other thing is it's only been a year, 
Like, it hasn't been that much time yet. I mean, a year sounds like a long time, but it really but isn't when you when lose you, someone. Like a family member. Yeah, when you lose someone close to you, it's going to take a whole lot more. And, and frankly, yeah. in the first year, I feel like you're not even, you, you haven't even begun to, to start to deal with it. So, so you know, we- yeah. I, so I think it's completely reasonable for her to want to cling to her daughter's things and sit in that room with them because that 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 is a, a healthy response in some ways now granted if she's doing that all day every day for ever you know that's that's not going to help her out but it but we do what we need to do in in those times and i think over time eventually you know one day you'll step out of that room and one day you'll you'll do something new and you'll start to realize that you know you're you're able to move forward but you know and and Molly brought up Pet Cemetery, which is completely apt. And, and yes, a movie that I was, comp- I was thinking about a lot. And I was also thinking a lot about don't look now. Um, oh, that's a call. Especially with, and we talked, we're talking a lot about the, the relationship uh, that that's where the don't look now connection comes in for me. Of course, the dead child and everything else, but uh, you know, and both of these movies have a scene sort of smack dab in the middle where they uh, romantically connect and physically and intimately connect for probably what, what is the first time since that happened, I would assume Mm -hmm. based on how the movie sort of unfolds itself there. And, and there's a, not just a release in terms of like their desire for one another, but like they're actually feeling like people again, you know, they're, they're feeling like individuals and not grieving parents. And I think that's the other problem is you sort of lose yourself in that grief. With movies like this, I always truly love that their first instinct is brought up like, hey, how about we just resurrect your child? And they're like, fuck yeah. But at no point is someone like, hey, why not go to maybe couples therapy and just <laughs> professional through this? Well, I think that's part of it, too, is that it's meant to show. I almost saw that these two characters as being two extremes. So he's the extreme wanting to just forget everything and move on and get rid of everything. And she's the extreme yep. where she needs to be connected to all of this. She she feels the need to be around it all the time and never forget it and think about it all the time. And it's consuming her life. And I, I think the ultimate, again, every, all film is up to interpretation. But I saw it as showing these are the two extremes. Neither of them are healthy ideally you would find some kind of middle ground where you're able to mourn and remember this person, but also move on with your life. Um, which obviously takes time, but, um, yeah, it's, I lost my train of thought. I think <laughs> the gummies have kicked in. <laughs> okay. One of, yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite things about this movie is that she barely knows Mrs. O'Shea and she's like, Hey, can I have some of your late partner's ashes so that I can try and resurrect my daughter? Like, that's just a common thing to ask someone who's basically a stranger. <laughs> oh, it's more than the ashes, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's, like like his whole, it's like his whole hollowed out fucking body. <laughs> can we, we, just can like we like sever that? his spinal cord and like rip out his <laughs> guts and cool with you? I know we burn just... our child out of his burned husk? Is that cool? Is that cool? We're new. You know, some people come over and ask for a, you know, a cup of sugar. It's the neighborly thing to do. <laughs> we just look. If can, you can just do us this one solid, we got you later on. 
can we talk about how like, great the uh oh sorry that's okay. <laughs> i was gonna say i it's the fact that this is just such a normal occurrence in this town too like everyone's just like oh just so you know as soon as your loved one dies we're gonna use their body for this really horrific <laughs> ritual but then don't worry you'll get to see them again eventually too and just the fact of. that they go through this cycle, it makes me almost want an origin story of this town and how this mm. became the norm for them. Because it seems like such a bizarre way to live and die in this town. Does it not? Like, oh, like Timothy's ball will just show up in your house uninvited and be like, what? This is a country thing. We just let ourselves in. We just wake <laughs> head. It's cool. <laughs> Does that know? not sell like the uh, like the idea of it? Though, like, better than most movies like this, the idea that everyone is just, you know, it's old hat to them. Like, there's nothing sinister about it. It's just like, this is a thing that we do. You know, if you want to, if you want in, cool. You know, but I, I, to me, it just, between that and the way they treat, like, the, the ritual itself, which is just kind of like, you know, you have all of these uh, beats that you have to hit. You have these things that you say. And it's not like this grandiose sort of thing. There are no palms raised to the skies or lightning or thunder. Or it's just kind of like, okay, no, no, just spread the mud over. Okay, we'll set it on fire. And let's go ahead and break. You know, it's just – and even the Timothy Spall, you know, when he's going through the questions and he's just sort of raking his hands over that whatever the hell it is. The abacus? Um, the abacus yeah, thing? Abacus. It just kind of reminds me of uh, – Weirdly, it reminded me of a dark song. Uh, the Ooh, Steve oh, yeah, character yeah, who was sure. like, "Absolutely." You know, it's like it, it's taking something that's supernatural, taking something that's like, you know, bizarre and weird, like genuinely weird with capital W, and making it seem commonplace, making it seem like just a job or just a series of acts that you have to commit in order to get to that end thing. And I, I love that because it makes it so much more real. It grounds it in a way that, you know, I, I think a lesser filmmaker and a lesser storyteller would have felt keen to sort of play up all of that stuff even more. And I, I, I what I love with what Keating does here is he just sort of, he films it all kind of dispassionately, which makes it, you know, strangely all the more effective, I think. This is going to be a strange comparison, but it's almost like we, the filmmaker and also the viewers, are anthropologists studying this culture in this town from the outside <laughs> and without having any preconceived notions or ideas or opinions about them. Yeah. Well, and uh, yes. And I think that, like, that's one of the things I loved about this movie was the world building. Like it just, it's, it does such a great job of making everything feel. It has this deep history mythology behind it. Um, and it doesn't go out of its way to explain anything. Like Jinx earlier, you mentioned that weird abacus thing. It's like a lot of movies would be like, this is my magic abacus. And when I do this, <laughs> You know, like there would be a scene where the guy explains it, kind of, where he'd be like, Always started I just have the, to uh... take these five beads because, you know, and it's like in the movie, instead, he's just like, boom, boom, boom. He's just doing weird shit with it. And then, you know, and it, 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 he never bothers to say what it is or why he's doing it. It's just a thing that's there. It makes everything feel so much more lived in. And 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 as you mentioned, real. I don't know. I, I love a good world building horror movie. And this one is one of the better ones. 
when you stop reading to the audience too like uh you know what you were mentioning there there is no moment where a character says this is my son and so it's that screenwriting rule where you should never ever begin exposition with one character saying to another as you know because clearly you know you're you're they don't know but as you know know my magic abacus brings people back to life If they already know, then you don't need to explain it to them. What you're actually doing is explaining it to the audience. And I love, yeah, you're right, that the movie doesn't, has no interest in explaining that. You just kind of have to go for the ride. And yeah. uh, I don't know. I, I, I love that about it. I Apparently, I have not seen them, sadly. But um, the guy who co-wrote this, his name is Brendan McCarthy. He went on to write a couple of other full horror movies. One was actually... Uh, with Keating, it was a movie called Cherry Tree, which I think IFC Midnight put out. I remember seeing the cover of the Blu-ray and DVD over and over and over again. I just never picked it up because I didn't realize who actually made the film. But now having done research, I really kind of want to see it because uh, these guys tackling full core, I they, they, they know what they're doing, I think. I, I want to oh, yeah. see what else has come from them. And uh, McCarthy also wrote uh, Corinne Hardy's The Hallow which I have not seen. I mixed reviews put me off racing to see it, but I, I feel like well, I, I have like the hello. The hell is good. I haven't seen yeah. Hello is good. Uh, screen factory put that bad boy out. Cause it was an IFC film. Yes. That, yeah. Okay. So I was, cause aren't there two films with that same title that I always. <laughs> yeah, there are. You're right. But yes, I'm pretty sure I have seen that one of the two. And yeah, I did. The, I, I liked that one a lot. The IFC one's really good. Yeah. It, it's got, it's it's a really cool, simple, straightforward little creepy, you know, woodsy Irish horror film, and and yeah, it's very much full core, <laughs> very much in that vein. Uh, but cool little creatures and stuff. It's good. It's real, real, real fun little movie. At the um, at the risk of beating the uh, horse silly here or the cow silly, fuck the giant sheep silly. Um, yeah, big sheep. <laughs> Just, again, going to the movie's theme, I thought it was kind of interesting. I made this quick note as I was watching. I just thought it was fun and kind of strange, but cool that you have a movie that is kind of preoccupied with the notion of letting go and, you know, just moving forward. And this was, you know, depending on how you want to rank the movies, the first Hammer film to come back. You know, it feels like not only a theme, but kind of like a mission statement for the company in a way. Hmm. Uh, sort of honor what's come before, but not be bogged down by it. And I, I, I kind of love that in a way. Um, there is a, I found a quote from a book called Merchants of Menace, uh, which has this great breakdown of Wakewood, uh, noted, uh, which is quote, preoccupied with the inability to move on, uh, you know, essentially what the movie is about as its characters seek to restore the past through mystical means. This theme is made explicit in the chilling words and with which K.A. James chooses to end her chilling novelization. And this comes from the novelization of the film, which I really want to seek out and pick up now, but it ends with the words, Patrick would be more tied to the town than ever. And, um, it just occurs to me that Patrick and Louise, they have kind of these opposing arcs throughout the course of the movie, where at the very end of the film, Louise is at peace. You know, she's she is completely sort of turned a corner. I mean, obviously, she's in an extreme situation uh, with where we find her in the final moments of the movie. But we <laughs> on the other hand, we have Patrick, who was wanting to let go and was wanting to sort of 
you know, just move on. And now with where we leave him at the end of the film, he is he is on a completely different pole when we leave him. And both of them, even though they wind up in very different places, they're still in spots that are not at all healthy. Yeah, that's very true. It's I again, it's I love that this film shows the two extremes. And even though they switch, they're still they were in unhealthy places before and they're definitely in unhealthy places now as well. It is it's interesting. There's a lot of very interesting themes that. I don't know if they're necessarily trying to change your point of view, but maybe even by having them switch by the end of this, it's an examination of also that giving other points of view a chance, even if they're not necessarily the most healthy, at least being able to see from that point of view. Yeah. I, this I, is totally random. I'm sorry, but <laughs> uh, one of the few things I did see on IMDb when I was trying to find out if the calf C-section was real but they point out that the ritual that Timothy Spall does is very similar to the ritual that he does in the Harry Potter film. <laughs> <laughs> Except he doesn't look better. Than he. And these if a weird nice. Voldemort baby had come out of this husk, <laughs> I, I kind of would have been into it. I, I would have been fine with that, yeah. I would have been into it. It's just, it's really yeah, funny because you think about like... <laughs> how different these films are in so many ways, but there are aspects of like what goes into the ritual and they're both re- resurrection rituals as well. That is kind of funny. I, I almost wonder if like, he just kind of like did some of the same choreography, like, cause he's like, well, I already know this. <laughs> right. So Timothy, if you could come over here, stand here, let's get your blocking done. And he just walks in. He's like, I, he's like, I know, I've, done, I've, this I've done this before. Don't worry. <laughs> I, I tell you, a very famous evil wizard. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I kind of wish Timothy Spall had become Hammer's new Michael Ripper. It oh, my so God. Good. Yeah. And just shown up in every Hammer movie in some weird walk-on role. Like, he's a barkeep or he owns the the little inn and, you know, something <laughs> like that. I think that could have been wonderful. All right, Paul, you know what you've done? You've brought us to that point in the commentary. It's unofficial. (laughs) Yeah, it's been unofficial up until this point. But with New Hammer, we have cast Let Me In and we have cast uh, The Resident with with classic Hammer stars. What if this movie were made in the 60s or 70s? Now we have to do that with Wakewood. I don't make the rules. Except I guess I I might have. You do make rules. So so you already called it. I think Timothy Spall would be Michael Ripper. Absolutely. Let's talk about Patrick and Louise. I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there. Uh, He's my go-to, but um, I got to go Ralph Bates. Ralph Bates. Bates. See, the problem is we we use him too much. We got to, you know. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. We use Bates way too much. Okay, let's I, in that case. Let's I'm going go Oliver Reed. Couple. I'm going Oliver Reed. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I'm doing Reed. That's my pick. That's very uh, good. Oh, this kid is so cute. She gives me like Matilda vibes. Oh yeah, it's you know it's funny. There's something about her that seems. I don't know if it's her like acting telephone. or how she is in real life, but she's very much kid-like, but also very. It feels like a tiny adult. And that's yeah. something that Matilda is also very much like. I love Matilda. 
And love Matilda. So good. It's it holds up so well too. It re- also like Dane DeVito just taking care of her on set was so cute. Yeah, Dane DeVito is such a great director. He's so this could be viewed as just a very dark Matilda sequel. Totally. Ooh, <laughs> Actually, the you know, the closer to the end we get, it really does. <laughs> but she now has the family she's always wanted. <laughs> Why does this remind So are me? we saying the woman is Mrs. Honey? <laughs> she eventually gets married. I love this super soaker scene. Like, did you have those the whole time? Yeah, because I mean, they, they, it's they conceivable the house, they could right? purchase a super soaker. I don't. It feels like in this town, could you? They barely have. Yeah, a- I mean, it, it's it's like an off-brand super soaker. I feel like the <laughs> the like little grocery store would probably have. Also, one of those knowing what happened to your daughter the first time, would you really want to play hide and seek where she gets to run off by herself in the woods? I wrote that in my notes. I said like, I don't think you would like let her out of your sight if you well, only I had mean, three days. I want that conversation where the two of them are in the kitchen, going like, "What's gonna happen? She's gonna die again." Is she the same girl we had before? Is she new? But yeah, this point here where they're like, are you there? Where are you? You're next. And it's like, this is your fault. You're bad parents. Oh, we, we did it again. <laughs> All right. Who else in town has died recently? We can borrow their body. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. We just got past the ritual sequence. Okay. So we have this larger old man. And... Who is resurrected through him but this tiny little girl? Okay, they open up the the cavity, a bunch of goo pours out, and then they pull the girl out, right? What happens if it's like a teenager's body or a young person's body, but then like a 300-pound dude is the guy who's getting resurrected? Like, what happens then? Like, is there measurements? It just, like, punches out. (laughs) Well, it's magic. Like the Hulk? Yes. (laughs) I mean... We're talking about people resurrecting out of husks of humans. It's fine. They'd figure it I, out. I want to know what this is. Are they witches or is this demonic shit? Like, what are we doing here? Is this, what do you guys think? Is this like, is he like a warlock and this is just ancient magic? Or is this like some sort of demon situation? Like deal with the devil kind of thing. What I would like to think is that they have no idea. It's just been passed down to them for so long. And it's so commonplace that it's just a fact of the place. That's a good point. Because he says at one point, like, they don't really know. Like, he he even has a line where he's like, yeah, we don't really know how this works. Like, you know, it mirrors. I like when he says uh, it mirrors the stages of existence, birth, life, and death. You know, the three days. I thought that was a cool thing. Like, it's all philosophical, but nothing's rooted in any real concrete answers. So sorry, this is a weird off thing, but that scene where they just went past all the like new modern wind turbine things. I feel like that scene alone just took me out of the whole movie because they're too new and they just don't feel like they're right in this setting, even though I know this is like 2009. I kind of like that idea that the because they're so new, that's kind of like the line. That's where the actual world begins, like beyond those, you know. Those turbines lays like a place that, you know, maybe the modern world doesn't even recognize as existing anymore. I, I like that it's kind of, you know, th- those are what sort of close off that world of Wakewood in a way, if that makes any sense. And I love plus, yeah. I mean, it's a Hammer movie and, you know, those turbines, that's about as close as we can get to, uh, you know, a classic <laughs> windmill in this yeah. movie. So. <laughs> Maybe the the shadow of the turbine could kill a vampire. If you exactly it, right. Ooh, 
little cross. Also, I love this intimate scene he has with his daughter where he's like, all right, now you take the sewing needle. We're going to yeah. stitch up this dog. That well, seems it, it's, like a really odd bonding experience. And I feel like she's too young to be stitching up a, an animal. Like a I'm getting, I'm getting uh, eyes of my mother vibes here. Very eyes <laughs> of my mother. Um, I, I do like the parallel, though, with like, the, it opens with like a dog killing her, and then like now they have to help a dog that they almost killed, and then she oh, ends up killing the been, dog. That's interesting. They open with a dog killing her, and then they end it with her just brutally murdering a dog. Yeah, that's fucked up. I was not ready for that. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, and and that's the thing is someone I don't remember who, but mentioned earlier. I think it was I think it was you, Molly, like saying that like. Uh, you can't kill a kid. That's like breaking a rule. You know, like there, there's like a rule, this unspoken, like you can't do that. And and when the when the dog gets skinned, uh, I I think I thought that. I was like, well, that, that's a rule. You can't do that. Like, you have to Especially leave the dog after alone. they took the time to save the dog and and nurture it at least for like a day before the kid loses it a bit. But there's also, yeah. I feel like, it's basically the same with the opening scene where the brutality that was done to that kid was very shocking and jarring. But imagining a kid doing what she does to a dog, it's, that's terrifying. Because imagine what she could do to an adult human as well. Yeah. I mean, from Alice's point of view, you know, uh, the dog started it. So, (laughs) you know, they just... uh, one question. She had I a little have. payback to give. Come on. One. Come. I'm surprised Timothy Spall's character doesn't do more research into the people he resurrects. If <laughs> the consequences are as disastrous as he professes when they have been dead more than a year. You would think he'd be sure. Uh, but do you think the disastrous consequences are just that, like, the kid's going to be evil? Uh, or is it, like, that obviously the the woman is sort of dragged to hell at the end, uh, a la Christine Brown. Um, of course. Okay, we're not doing that tonight. Uh, <laughs> we but just did it. We, yeah, do you think that was the disastrous consequence, or do you think it was her being evil, or is are the two one and the same? I, I think yes. Okay. Yeah, I think, yeah. He did say consequences, so yeah, right. That, right. That like like damage. it's gonna cost one of your lives. <laughs> I think as part of this her getting sucked in was a consequence of them break. Cause really in a way they broke, they end up breaking multiple rules in this. Mm-hmm. They, they lied about the time, try to keep her alive. They go past lines. Like there are many rules that are broken. Yeah. So I, the fact that only two major bad things happened is probably good for them. <laughs> um, but I think just the fact that they lied, the, the mom was going to get, sucked in no matter what i think the girl being evil was an unexpected consequence that they that even the people who do this had no idea was going to happen yeah because i yeah because i agree because they all seem pretty surprised when she's like picking them off Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know like this is not something they've encountered before what you just don't have that in your everyday life (laughs) well i mean i also don't resurrect people from the dead i don't know how to i don't have one of those magic abacuses or just, I love that that's is what it we're abacuses calling it. or is it abacai? I don't know what multiple abacus is. Or maybe it's just abacus. Abaconda? <laughs> well, I don't want none. 
<laughs> Abaconda. <laughs> I love her pulling out the Barbie doll, just like how she came out of the animal. It's it's very strange because it's I mean obviously it's the ritual that was done, but it's also like that's how you were born. <laughs> It's a very strange thing for a child to be doing as she's getting rid of her toys. Creepy old, like, people in movies like this. I don't know. They're just, it's a very effective thing to have, like, a nice, creepy old person. Like, because you want to trust old people. Like, they're yeah. just doing hard candies and tell you stories of, like, back in the day and the war and stuff and make you really good cookies. I, um, I would trust Timothy Spall. I would trust him with my life. Any version of Timothy. I don't know. I saw. Um, Unless I were Diana. I saw Spencer and I would so. not trust Timothy Spall. <laughs> he wasn't the bad guy in that. He Also, he was, he was Wormtail. We are, we've been over yeah. this. Yeah. I don't know guys. if I trust that version of him. <laughs> I don't, I don't trust. Wormtail's kind of a piece Timothy of shit. Spall, so. Um. Wait a second. I'm sorry. Allie, did you say he was not the bad guy in Spencer? I'm pretty sure he was the bad guy no the bad guy was prince charles all right well there were more than one bad guy well i think i think i think spencer is made up primarily of bad guys like (laughs) william and harry they're pretty much the only right well the dudes well yeah well the kids can't be at fault for what happened they were that movie that movie's a horror movie (laughs) really movie's terrifying i just had to be being a horror movie way back when it's so good she was robbed. She should have got that off. Spencer's Oscar. great. Yeah, Spencer's great. So I think somebody mentioned earlier something about, you know, it would be cool to have a prequel considering all of the world building and whatnot. And it's funny, I found an interview with Simon Oaks, the head of Hammer, uh, with the Black Box Club. He noted uh, if we had at the time the investment we'd had on this one, and then he sort of trails off and said, I think we should do a sequel. It came out of Ireland. It had Irish film board support and Vertigo, but Vertigo bought the UK rights for a pretty low number, which meant there was very little upside and casting was difficult. I think it's a really strong story and concept, but it suffered for the lack of money and the fact that we shot it on digital and not on film. Um, but just the fact that he teases there that they should do a sequel, I I think there is more that they could do, and it doesn't have to be tied to I mean, there could be a standalone approach that they could take that would further this world, but not hurt its chances, you know, commercially, I think. You know, I one imagines that a lot of modern moviegoers, you know, or anyone who would want to stream their movies online would maybe balk at watching a movie called Wakewood 2 if they'd never even heard of the first Wakewood, but I don't know. I if you could do a standalone movie set in this world, not just a straight remake, I I, I would like to see more in that arena. Uh, whether it be prequel, sequel, whatever the hell. Just don't call it Wakewood too. Like give it a good title and I'll watch yeah. it. Yeah. Especially like, when it's like been it, so long. <laughs> yeah. Call it uh Timothy Spall's Magical Abacus. And <laughs> I w- that sounds like a whimsical movie. It does, but you'll be surprised cuz it's pretty brutal. <laughs> You would not believe what they'll do to Matilda. Yeah. Also, I'm sorry, but why does every single person apparently that's from this town know how to use the magical abacus? Because that's like the town's thing. Uh, are none of you small town folk? No. <laughs> I know that there's no connection between them whatsoever um, in any regard other than the fact that they were both put out by Hammer. But I gotta say, in the span of three films... 
I think it's very interesting that we have a sequence where a young girl crosses over a line that they're not allowed to, and then they just start bleeding spontaneously, much to the mm-hmm. horror of an onlooker. Like this, this oh, yeah. you watch the scene, and it's totally let me in in a way. And I'm not saying one influenced the other, but but it may be. Well, the, the two, I like it too because they're two like totally different character motivations as to why mm-hmm. they did what they did you know and let me in it's like a, a sign of solidarity and friendship in a way uh although you could argue it was also done in an effort to manipulate the person uh you know, the latter 100 percent all right. about manipulation but in the moment it feels like an act of uh solidarity this was just pure defiance, you know, and then she was clearly surprised that that was going that she didn't know that was going to happen. But now yeah. I'm going to ask you all watching this, like. Do you think that's their daughter? In real no. life or like in the context of the- <laughs> in the context of the <laughs> do you think these two actors had a baby? <laughs> And... <laughs> they got together, had a baby. No, later. they just did it for the film so it'd be more realistic. And then they just waited like five or six years so the kid would be older. And... I want to know so how Molly has been sharing these edibles with you, too. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to know where mine is. This is unfair. I said, I've been drinking. I said I had beer. Yeah, I'm drinking, guys. No, I, uh, no, I mean it like I, is it just do you think it's a completely separate entity that has just yes. taken on their form or is it their daughter plus a little something extra that's tagged along because i mean at the end of it you know they they have that moment where uh, louise comes back obviously and the first thing that happens is is that you know patrick asks after alice and louise just says no she's good she's good she's happy you know and it's like it just feels like that's in reference to everything that had come before. Uh, uh, but the the difference is Luis is brought back within the year. So that's still her. Yeah. No, Whereas, no I, I get that. I mean, how she references Alice. Like, I believe well, her when she says that Alice maybe is Maybe okay. that's just like an afterlife thing. Though. I don't know. I, I don't think, I, for me, I think the kid is just a, like, a, like a changeling. Like, something that looks like their kid and has enough, you know enough information to pretend to be that so it can use them to try to continue to exist in some way i don't know but i i didn't really perceive it as being their actual daughter personally but i I, that's just my take on it i do want to say that i love this sequence just because i i love cults in uh well not actually i i love cult (laughs) movies movies about cults cults themselves are hang on wait let me Kind of Jinx, you should off. watch The Sacrament. You may not like cults as much. <laughs> no, no, no. Sacrament is fucking terrifying, as is Kill List, as is any number of movies that have Kill cults in them. So I, I love the idea of cults in horror movies because, as in real life, cults terrify me in movies. Yeah, and what sad. I think is so cool about this movie is that you have a setup that we've seen uh, many, many times before with a town that's all, you know, sort of banded together um, with you know, like the Wicker Man or Race with the Devil, something like that, where we're meant to see these throngs of people, uh, you know, sort of bonded together. And, you know, as a result, there's just one massive entity that poses a huge threat to our characters. Whereas in this movie, even though they do feel threatening at times, 
ultimately they're not really evil. They're just no, that's just their thing. Yeah, and I I kind of love that. I love that twist on that trope. Yeah, they're the they're the helpful kind of cult. Exactly. Also, just as someone who like a lot of the family is small town and like real life, this is like not unusual for me. Like there were times when I was up north and I'd come home and there'd be someone there. I'm like, cool. Who are you in my family's house? And they're like, oh, I'm your aunt's friend. And I'm like, cool. All right. We're just letting ourselves in. That's fun. But a big thing was when my, <laughs> when my aunt moved from like the big city to a small town, you, the only, when you don't know anyone, the only way to make friends is to do what the town does. So you go to church, you go to the curling club, like you do that stuff. And imagine if you're a small town, their thing was, hey, we're in a cult. So if you want to have friends and people to hang out with and not be lonely all the time, you kind of got to do what we do. So day two, you're standing outside a barn at midnight, like, <laughs> okay. So you're telling me we're taking this dead body, we're cutting it open, we're severing its <laughs> spine, we're slathering it. Okay, putting a finger in its mouth, slathering it with, is that mud? Is that, you know what? It's fine, whatever it is. And then we're setting it on fire. And I've got a deck of cards back at the house. I've got some beers. If you guys want to come over, just as an alternative, <laughs> yeah, just throwing that out there. That's how you get acclimated. You got to be like, hey, so... There are no, there's no cops here that are mad about this. We're all just, we're all on board. Okay. I, I just want to say one thing. We talked earlier about this being a low budget movie. And as a result, like there, there's no way that that calf was, was not real. Like clearly it was a real calf because they didn't have the money to build a fake calf. That was a very convincing looking dog corpse. I'm not blaming the production. I'm not saying, I'm not accusing them of anything, but I have questions. Maybe they just rented one for the day. Rented one. Rented dog. a dog corpse. You can rent. You, yeah, you can rent skin dog corpses. You know they. <laughs> like fake ones. Uh... Are preface <laughs> fake ones. What if it wasn't skin? You actually can. You but can rent like big. Like, your Ellie's right. You could you could rent like weird anim like animal prop yeah, things. We looked into it for our film because we needed a dead deer, and to rent a dead deer for the day was like. 600 bucks but the only reason we couldn't do it was because we had to go up north with it and that would have been like 600 a day every single day we had it and i was like i'm not spending like four thousand dollars on this fucking that, deer for what seen. that seems well, way too expensive to rent a deer well uh there's that there's that thing <laughs> in um, survival of the dead with the with the horse where yeah. the zombies eat the horse that was rented they rented that horse prop so they could yeah. have the zombies eat it because they couldn't afford to build their own so it's like even even romero had to do that even romero even romero okay so R. we R. were talking a few minutes ago about wakewood 2 and it occurs to me i just wanted to point this out and see what you all think the original title of this movie as it was announced and uh mentioned in interviews was called are you ready for this magical because okay uh, it's funny that Matt Reeves was making a movie at around this time and was also early Hammer 2 because the original title of Wakewood was The Wakewood. The, the Wakewood. Oh, my God. The Wakewood. Oh, wow. The that Batman. changes everything. Fucking course it was. That would have been a dead giveaway for the end of the film. It would have been. <laughs> it is, it wow. is curious. Um, that that was the title. I. What do you all make of that? Does that make any? Does that track with the story at all? 
for you all or I mean maybe that was a reference to the drum things that they used because that's I don't know like waking the dead with them or something because they're little mm. wooden drum things right yeah. I'll be damned I never considered that yeah that makes that makes way more sense than me just being like, man, when people put the in front of things, it just sounds like old people talking about new stuff. Like, oh, the Facebook is crazy. <laughs> was, it, was it originally called the Facebook? <laughs> yeah. And then Justin Timberlake was like, lose the the, just Facebook. Oh, I hate I, that I had that scene memorized. I wanted It's a good thing Spider-Man. Justin Timberlake was there for that. that. It really was. I hated that little twerp in that film um justin not timberlake. timberlake no 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 not timberlake himself i was gonna say like i don't think but, anyone's ever called justin J- jt a twerp <laughs> no but the guy I he mean, played in that movie was 100 twerp. it's pure unadulterated twerp. twerp we need um we need a social network sequel i think what yeah, the my god what do they cover though the everything that's happened since <laughs> Oh my god i told i told james before we got on but i'm watching that uber show that joseph gordon levitt did about the rise of uber and like i can't deal with all these mediocre white men just basically using the exact same formula to like make we work make facebook make uber and it's like cool we fucking get it <laughs> let's treat women like shit oh the second i get a little bit of money my old girlfriend isn't good enough anymore Way to be a stereotype. Yeah. Does that make him mediocre though, or like exceptionally terrible? What happened? What happened to that huge sheep? <laughs> oh my god! A vampire got it. Oh no! <laughs> We're just gonna they, mix every movie together they, now. They rented that <laughs> giant sheep for twelve hundred dollars a day. That's a oh good god. deal for that giant sheep, and they got to put blood on it. Not bad. You need to stop one of those turbines so the shadow can kill the vampire sheep. Does the vampire sheep know how to use the magical abacus? The wakewood? <laughs> yeah, the wakewood. <laughs> I like the idea, though. Like that the Because the abacus clearly has wooden, I don't know, things on it. So, like, that could and be the wakewood. it does the dead. That makes sense. Yeah. Or is I it like the that. surrounding forest? Is it the root? Is it the sick. place they're in? Yeah, because they, they, he does say, like, they can't leave. Like, part of the deal is now you can't ever leave, right? Like, once you, you do it. You're stuck here forever. Okay, but can they just not leave the two of them? Or do they, like, okay, can they leave their child there and then bail on that place? I also, think it's just the resurrected that can't go outside that area. Well, he, but didn't he say, like, if you if you do this, you have to live here forever. Like, you have to live oh. here now. That's, like, that's like the the bargain. Like, we'll, we'll raise your dead loved one for three days, but, like, your payment to us is that now you have to stay here and you can't move away. I don't know if that means he can't, like, leave the confines of the town. Oh. Or if that just means he has to, like, live there permanently. Or I, I don't would, know what the, the magic is, but. I would have a lot of questions. I'd be like, well, if I'm here forever uh, and I don't have a job, per se. Like, if I lose it, are you guys going to cover my mortgage? Uh, <laughs> He's like, what if you fire me as the town animal Like. What is this situation? How do we get food from other places? Does it just our grocery store replenishes itself? What are the rules? <laughs> are you allowed to take vacations? Yeah. Or are you literally stuck in the confines of the town? What is the mortality to resurrection ratio in a small town like that? 
Also, because yeah, you can't resurrect until someone else dies, and there aren't that many people there. But, but we've already seen like three or four resurrected too. people. Oh, totally. Old people are going first. Like this guy. Oh, yeah, crowbar. Not only that, like you would imagine, what if you lose somebody that you want to see again so very badly? Like, do you start eyeballing some of the older residents, thinking like, I, you know, they could fall downstairs? Well, I mean, like, that's just I'm people. always eyeballing older people. That that shit right there was like very much like seventies slashery weird oh, yeah. cutting. I that thought was, you were gonna say it's very Matilda. It's, it's very so Matilda. Matilda. But it also reminded me of like Audrey Rose and um, oh yeah, uh, what's that other movie? Oh, is... Alice Sweet Alice. Oh, it kind of had like Alice Alice. Sweet Alice vibes. Well, especially with that little raincoat. The little raincoat. Little yeah, exactly. Children in raincoats. Little cute little raincoat. Yeah, it's always and, jo- and Georgie. Yep. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's all coming full circle. It's full circle. We're back to it. I want to put like Super Matilda here up against Pennywise and see. Uh, oh, see Matilda would top. wipe the floor with Pennywise. Oh my god! Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, because she wouldn't be afraid of him, and yeah. and that would and that's you know, the, that fuels him. That's what fuels him, you know. That he and, can't turn into a weird like crab spider monster if he's if no one's afraid of not, him. Plus, then he's uh, just then know, he's just a little baby Pennywise. <laughs> I saw a Stephen King tweet recently where he sort of just floated the idea out there that Pennywise and um, the man in black and uh, oh, my God, the villain from the stand. How am I forgetting his name? Somebody help, please. Um, Flag. Flag. So Flag, the man in black and Pennywise are all basically the same entity. And Mm. and I, I dig it. I don't know how it works, but I dig it. I think well, I remember seeing people were kind of uh, freaking out about that tweet. Because, of course, anything anyone says, people are going to be mad about it, whether it's true or not. Right. What? On Twitter? <laughs> no. People are acting irrational? Well, how is that possible? That's crazy. Twitter.com is a place of rational thought. That's, you know. Yeah, where's our, like, made-for-TV Twitter movie? There are two weathers that I check every morning. Like, I'll hit the weather app and see if it's going to be rain or, you know, shine or anything in between. And then um, and then I hit Twitter <laughs> and I check it for about five minutes and I'm going to be like, is it going to be a good day or bad day? What is going to be that one thing that we're latching on to? Is it a cool new trailer or a fun movie that's coming out and everything's going to be fun and cool and positive? Or has somebody floated a bad take? Or is the or discourse... has someone smacked somebody at the Oscars? <laughs> And I gotta tell you, it's been a stormy <laughs> couple of weeks. Like uh, last oh, the Oscars. everyone just talking about that. It's like I'm still talking about it because I'm just like, it's so fucking stupid. I'm cutting this weird sort Wait, of Wait, did something did don't... something weird happen at the Oscars? <laughs> <laughs> Truly, like my favorite thing was like because you guys know what I was doing that I was watching like a movie with Chris and everything. And then I looked at my phone and just seeing your play by play text being like, oh, this is- <laughs> like, I was so excited. What? <laughs> what the hell? The, the ceremony was so bad. And then that happened. I was like, well, at it least this awesome. is entertaining. But like, but... really, this your guys' play by play was my favorite thing. I had to show Chris and he was like, why are they both just watching the Oscars? <laughs> I, I always watch which, the Oscars. Which is a fair question these days. That, Paul, you're not wrong. That ceremony was garbage. Um, it was horrible. Horrible. 
horrible. Anyway, sorry. It's it's like it's like the people who make the Oscars don't like movies. That's how it feels now. It's like they don't even like movies. It's not a celebration anymore. And I'm sick to damn death of like every. And here's I'm not knocking Chris Rock. I'm not like taking sides here. I'm not going to get into that whole thing. But I will say, don't don't hit someone on TV. Okay, yeah, violence is never the answer. But what I mean is, is like the whole. Whether or not I don't want to get into whether or not like the jokes or whatever, blah blah blah. But like I will well, say that it does it bump me out that you, don't you know someone. with award shows these days, it, it kind of I'm I'm sick to damn death when it comes to award shows where you know we get somebody to host or somebody to present and it has to turn into a fucking roast. And it's like that's not what these shows should be. And I feel like I no. I kind of want to blame Ricky Gervais. Like it feels like he's the guy who's it's, sort of it's, got that ball rolling. But it's no, because I think they it's don't third before oh, that. It definitely yeah, did. Way, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean playful poking and like, uh, like, yeah, poking at audience members and being fun about it. Like, yeah, like it's that's always been a thing. Like going back to, I mean, at least as far as I remember, I we all remember Oprah, Uma, Uma, Oprah. Um, but, Uma. <laughs> but like there, there's an acidity to it now where it feels like okay, no, we got to bring some of that Comedy Central roast into what we do now rather than just coming here to have fun and i just i hate that i hate that vibe i hate that feeling i hated everything about this oscars leading up until that moment and then that moment was just kind of like okay this this is sort of forever seared onto this 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 thing you know the academy awards will never be able to talk about the thing without mentioning that as an asterisk same thing with both of those guys in their careers like Mm -hmm. that's that's gonna follow them to their obituaries yeah As I'm, I'm, I choose MTV Movie Awards. That's my <laughs> awards show of choice. You know, it's interesting because I saw, I can't remember where it was. It, I'm embarrassed to admit it. It might have been on TikTok. <laughs> but We're all on TikTok. There, from there your 14-year-old cousin? <laughs> no, no. It was someone else. I don't remember. But it, um, they were talking about the Oscars and that shift into more the roast type thing. And they were saying that it most likely was a shift because people for a very long time have complained about how elitist the Oscars feel and that they pick these movies that most people have never even seen. Um, And they were saying that they started to make this shift into the roast style because apparently the Oscars thinks that is how they can make themselves more relatable is by making fun of themselves and the other people there rather than just selecting movies that are more accessible to the public that are more actually liked by by audiences I think that wasn't their issue <laughs> I just, I, what scares yeah, me says, is that the academy the, the ceremony that gave like titanic best picture which made more money than sure. any movie ever at the time i mean that's the thing is like i agree with you that like there's this weird predominant belief that the Oscars tended to select only these weird elitist movies. And certainly that's a part of it. Um, and it is, and it absolutely is inherently elitist. I mean, Gladiator do we really need to like, do we really need to pat millionaires on the back and give them golden statues? <laughs> no, they don't need any more recognition, but as a celebration of the movies, it, it, it is a special thing. And it was a gateway to discovering things. I think that the average moviegoer might've missed back, back at a certain point. I think the problem is now we've leaned so hard into what does the average person want this to be mm-hmm. that it's become this like hodgepodge variety show 
where it's mostly bad jokes and bits that don't land. It's like four and a half hours long, and it should really be way shorter than that. Like this year, they're like, oh, we're going to cut all these awards to save time. Well, it was 40 minutes longer than last year when they showed all of those awards. (laughs) And they still showed the awards. They just showed like weird cut up footage of them. So like you took away the moment of those people getting to be on live television while at the same time undercutting like what we're trying to recognize, which is the craft of filmmaking. Um, so I don't know. It just, it felt really disingenuous. And then of course, yeah, the, the controversy around the, the, the slap heard around the world. Uh, it, it's just, yeah, it's, it's just, it needs to be completely retooled. I don't know what they're going to do to fix it, but yeah, it's bad. I am very afraid that the lesson that they've learned for all of the furor that's been kicked up because of that slap and the fact that they're, you know, behind closed doors trying to figure out what they're going to do about Will Smith and all of that stuff. Like, you know that they're giddy, that they have become more relevant than they've had. They've been in like 20 years. And I'm wondering how that's going to feed into next year's awards. It's like, maybe we can get two slaps in. How do we orchestrate that? You know? Um, no, the, what you do, if, crazy. Jerry, Jerry, if they, like if they want to get ratings next year, if they really want to cash in, what you do is you get Will Smith and Chris Rock to host together. And oh, my God. <laughs> Rock comes out in like a protective helmet. Yep. That's 100 percent what you do. And and hell, they might try to do it. But they, no, yeah, it's it's, it's you know, they've situation. had that conversation. Oh, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh uh, I know everyone turned into our Wakewood commentary to hear about the Oscars. So <laughs> this is your hot take. Like if a week this is later. a surprise to a listener at this point. They've only true, true. Been. Our tangents are typically weirder than this. So I feel like because we're actually being fairly topical. So at least there's that we're we're on our best behavior because we have a guest. Molly, thank you for that's, keeping that's us in line. That's true. That's true. That's Molly, I apologize to say that this is our best behavior. I, I, <laughs> I wish that that wasn't the case, but here we are. We've had worse. Um, no, we are we are barreling toward the end of the movie. So I, I, I guess we should note that there have been some really distressing things that have happened. Um, in true hammer fashion, we are ending toward, uh, you know, around a, a windmill esque structure. As Paul noted, it'd be great if Peter Cushing could run out and, you yeah. know, grab onto one of the blades and form it into a cross. Don't know that it would help, but hey, could give it a shot. I do think it's neat that that is the third turbine. We have a big number three sort of over Louise, which I think is kind of fun in a way. Not at all subtle, but no. Although I That's didn't even notice that the first time I watched this. So. Maybe it might too be subtle. subtle I don't know. if you're not paying attention like me. <laughs> but then, so are these, these windmills are in Wakewood. I think I they're think... on like the edge of the town. Hmm. Hmm. Is there, do you think there is any sort of, I mean, the little girl is named Alice. She yeah. goes into a hole in the ground. She comes back. Like, is it is it too on the nose? Is it just fun enough? How did we feel about that? I think it's fun. I could watch a lot of movies about little girls named Alice who die and then come back to life. I mean, it could also be more of a, an homage to Alice, Sweet Alice. <laughs> I was just thinking that too with the whole raincoat. Hey, I'm telling you. Uh, <laughs> I, I do think there's some Alice. Sweet- I mean, clearly David Keating, like, knows yeah. his horror. Huh. Yeah. And wanted He's to reference a million things. 
yeah, she's done now. Okay, and that's the thing. Uh, Paul, to go back to our earlier conversation, what we were talking about, if if you believe that this is like another entity, is it just really dumb that it did this twice? That it didn't see this coming? Is it doing the thing that dogs do when they're on a leash and then they see their owner and they go and run like they aren't on a leash and they strangle themselves? Like, I believe that Alice would be, you know, she's a child, and I believe she would make that mistake twice. If it's some, like, malevolent entity, it, it, it's real dumb. What's real dumb is his mom is like, well, let's bring you back into Wakewood. <laughs> I, for me, I think Let me just keep you out here where you're dead. Is, <laughs> I think that it is Alice. You're already dead. I, th- I think it's definitely Alice, but I think that since she's past the time that it's supposed to be, because... Like, it's, she's been dead for too long. I think it's almost like she's rotting and it's turning her evil. Um, like, she's like past her, her expiration date. <laughs> I like that. It's almost like dead is better. It her is. Okay, when we had the father coaxing the child, the undead child, over to give her a shot to tranquilize her, like... Yeah, it's it's it goes from being like, okay, how much of this is an homage to Pet Cemetery, and how much of it is like, hey, you know what? Like that Pet Cemetery got some things right. Why don't we just sort of just copy and paste here? I don't know. I mean, the I mean, dads are both different kinds of doctors. Yeah, yeah. It's it's no Pet Cemetery too, but <laughs> you know what what is? I mean, there's. There's no Clancy Brown pl- proxy in this movie, and that's really the the failing. There's no I, cemetery with John Lithgow. Uh-huh. Oh God, that would be amazing. Oh, I would love this movie like fifteen percent more if John Lithgow was in it. If there, if John Lithgow played a deranged undead sheriff in this movie, <laughs> that would just be the icing on the cake. Or he's the husband, and it's him versus Timothy Spall. Oh my god. Okay. All right. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take any John Lithgow I can get. I mean, I think you should have played Alice. I'm revealing. I shouldn't. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Martin Short in uh, Clifford style. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> where, where he plays like an eight year old child. <laughs> Maybe that would be the true horror of Wakewood is that no matter who you bring back from the dead, they all come out looking like John Lithgow. They all come out as John Lithgow. Oh, that'd okay. be so great. I'd want to kill everyone. <laughs> Like that would, would just create an army of John Lithgow. It would be I, his version of like being John Malkovich, but like, yeah. like a weird meta. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. It's literally like that. Those couple episodes in Third Rock from the Sun, where there's like the evil Dick and then like the good Dick, and he's trapped in the basement. <laughs> in the in the invisible box. In the invisible box. Yep, I. <laughs> I get what you're throwing down. <laughs> People who don't are going to be like, why are you talking about good dick and bad dick? Well, let me tell you. (laughs) We've come full circle back to the conversation that we had about X. Oh, you mean no dick? This is is like shot for shot. Was was Drag Me to Hell referencing this? (laughs) Sam Raimi saw this was like, boom, Actually, wait, this is, this is post, wait, is this referencing Drag Me to Hell is a better question, because Drag Me to Hell came out before this movie. You know, I just felt like Louise didn't have it coming, so I don't know how much of a reference it could be. All right. Yeah, he didn't owe the bank money. Insane. That's an, <laughs> that is an insane take. <laughs> In 
insane. She's a bad person, though. Okay, you know what? <laughs> like, just pay go, your debt. Go back to Twitter with those takes. I like, fuck they'll, no. They'll deal with it. They'll deal with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because it's terrifying and true. Now, does anyone? I'm I'm revealing. I shouldn't even ask this question, but I, I'm revealing that I didn't do any research on this particular aspect of it. But uh, Louise, what she says as she's burying her child there at the end, does anyone know where that comes from? What that is? I don't. What did she say? Um, I don't. I don't remember because it was minutes ago. I don't. I didn't write it down. <laughs> I didn't really, well, shouldn't mention that. I knew it, but I did it anyway. Let's see in a nutshell. I think she's like telling a story or something. Yes, yeah, and I didn't know if it was, like, referencing, like, a, you know, it feels like it should be a reference to a poem or a children's book or something like that, that but I just didn't know. That'll be our homework for next week. We have to research <laughs> that and bring the answer to the next episode. Hello, everyone. As we open this commentary for The Woman in Black, <laughs> let us backtrack to... I'm so excited <laughs> for that one. I I'm have here. to ask, because this is the one part of this movie that made absolutely no sense to me when I watched it, and it actually kind of made me angry in how it made so little sense. This, from the time that the daughter is alive, it's three days. Yeah. So how would she be able to find out that she was pregnant when she had sex two days ago? Magic. That folklore. Magic demon baby. Like, Alice knowing because she's mystical made sense, but the mom being able to pee on a stick and having it say she's pregnant made me irrationally angry. <laughs> yeah, really um, it doesn't this. make any sense. To deal with yeah. it. Magic. Well, and That's yeah, is it? Allie is it, it like? Do you think that baby would have been like an evil baby carrying on evil Alice, or do you think it's just like a legitimate, perfectly fine baby? Because little of both, little, little bit, evil, little bit, teen, little bit, little bit country, little bit rock and roll. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the fact that I mean, I have to think that it has to be some kind of evil entity because why else would it have still been growing the whole time she was dead? Yeah, that's a good. That's yeah. well, so it, bizarre. That's they, they do set that up in the uh, in in the story because don't they note when Alice comes back? I, I don't know if Timothy Small says it or somebody else says it, but. Basically, they say whenever you're brought back, your um, like your hair and nails keep growing. Oh yeah. So presumably, like he left her in the ground for nine months and then resurrected her, you know, with the the sole yeah. intent to. <laughs> I also wonder if this is breaking rules that he obviously like once he does the C-section. I assume he's gonna try to keep the baby or is he gonna birth the baby and then put it in the ground no he's gonna keep that baby isn't that gonna create some kind of e extra evil baby yeah yeah <laughs> that's what gives oh. us the antichrist yeah this is right oh, that's exactly that's what i was thinking is what you're telling me <laughs> this is the beginning of the end right here yeah. See, now, see now we know what the sequel needs to be. That's why I kind of thought, like at first, like okay, like is this a demonic thing? Like is this some sort of devil's bargain? But yeah, I I, I tend to lean more towards like oh, it's just some weird old legend that they've been following for whatever reason. Give it like another ten or fifteen years. Do a sequel called The Wakewood, directed by Matt Reeves, 
And, uh, you know, instead of setting it in the town, have it be the uh, child all grown up out in the world, not knowing where he came from. And uh, strange things start to happen. He doesn't realize he's the Antichrist. He goes back home and discovers this odd place and the true nature of his origins. So basically the apocalypse season of American Horror Story. Oh, is that what that fuck? (laughs) Also, but it. Would it be able to cross the city lines? Because even evil Alice couldn't do that. But But he wasn't damaged, right? This is like a baby. But the baby was killed when it was dragged under. So then it'd be coming back. Oh, yeah. Good point. Like, hold the baby and walk like a foot over the line and then two feet over the line. Just see where the threshold is. I would like to think it's going to continue growing. But the moment it crosses like the uh, the line, like it... Like it just turns into a fetus again and hits the ground, <laughs> like a little football it's just so sort of bumming. Laugh that. <laughs> That'd be Boom. kind of funny. Yeah, I, I, I want to see him in like more of like an Omian, uh, Omian, Omen three, the final conflict situation, like where he's now like running for president because he's the Antichrist guy, and he's gonna like bring his magic abacus to Washington and. <laughs> Start res- <laughs> Paul, if you say Omian in reference to that franchise, can I then counter you with Doman? Doman's good. I like Omian better, uh, but we can do Doman. Doman makes it sound pretty stupid. Omian, not that Omian's smart, but it doesn't sound as bad as Doman. <laughs> it has to, whoever the Antichrist is, it has to be played by John C. Riley. Doman sounds like a bad Simpsons joke, like Homer referencing Omen and being like Doman or something, you know, like Shining. a bad, like a really bad Simpsons joke. I don't know. But uh, anyway, yeah. So final thoughts, I guess, on Wakewood. Is that what we should do? <laughs> Transition to. All right, let's Topical bring it home, everyone. Comments. How did we uh, How did we feel about this? Thumbs up, thumbs down. I get the feeling that we all like this movie a lot. Is that right? Thousand percent. I do like it a lot, but it's funny. The more we talked about it, the more I was like, "Wow, it's really ripping off a lot of movies that came before." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I don't yeah. think I noticed that on my own, but then as we're discussing, I was like, "Oh shit! Wow. Yeah. Uh huh. Yep." Does it have anything that's other than the magical abacus that's really original? <laughs> you know, and I guess I to to sort of I don't know give the movie a pat on the back in that regard. Like even for all of the things that you know, we could maybe look at it like in the same way that you know we look at what Tarantino does, where he he pulls in all these references and he sort of synth thought ah can't speak tonight synthesizes all of that into kind of like his own personal like. Thing because even though Wakewood is very similar to all of these various things, like it, it also feels like tonally kind of unique in a way too. Like it, it, it feels like its own thing. But I don't know. I yeah, it doesn't necessarily feel like they're trying to copy. It's more like giving nods and and incorporating the things that they love about these other films in a way that's their own style. Yeah, I would agree yeah. with that. All right, and Paul, I, I I was getting thumbs up from you, I think. Uh, yeah, no, I liked it. I, I thought it was really strong, and uh, I agree it's derivative of a lot of other things, and that became very apparent through our conversation. Um, but all in all, uh, it's a good time. I like the cult stuff. I like the world building. Uh, it's effective. Um, I still don't trust Littlefinger, but, I mean, you, you never. Know. 
I was never going to. So, uh, yeah, thumbs up on Wakewood. I liked it. I think the I I I really dig it too. I think it's a great movie. And um, three movies into New Hammer, they've all been pretty damn solid. Yeah, with the, so, with the exception of the final act of The Resident. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Was, but yes, they're all pretty good for the most part. It was unfortunate that. But uh, yes, so next week we are going to be back with The Woman in Black. We have a tentative Ooh. guest scheduled, so I won't announce it yet, but uh, I think it'll be somebody pretty fun. And folks, I'll, I'll just go ahead and point this out as of now. Unless uh, Hammer wants to kick it into gear and pop another couple of movies out pretty soon. We're down to the last four movies of oh this gosh. podcast. This is great. But we do have other movies lined up to talk about. Yes, we have other episodes. It's not like you're going to have to say goodbye to us. I don't know. We might have to. We've got to talk about Dracula Dead and Love. (laughs) Unless Jinx just like kicks Ellie and I off of the podcast. In which case, then that will be the end. (laughs) But then Ellie and I will start a side podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But you have to invite me on every once in a while. Yes. Every week. On every episode, you're only only guest hosting. Yes, I still have to do the opening and fuck it up three times before we uh, get going. So, so it'll basically just, just be this. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. So there is one last thing that I want to point out because I don't know when the hell else I would ever mention this on, on another commentary. So, But I have to squeeze this in. There was a HammerFilms.com article uh, which featured an interview with Aiden Gillen. And there was this great quote where he noted that he encountered the spirit of Hammer in a more direct way, filming at the hallowed Bray Studios for Jez Butterworth's 1996 film Mojo. Quote, I still remember the photos of Christopher Lee on the wall. You could certainly feel the Hammer vibe there, even though our story was set in a 1950s rock and roll club. I love the idea that even in the mid-90s, you could go to Bray and they had photos of Christopher Lee up on the wall. That's amazing. Yeah, that is cool. As they should. As they should. (laughs) All right. So we have reached the end of this episode. Molly, thank you so much for coming on and for chatting Wakewood with us. Can I ask, uh, where can folks find you out? Uh, No, fuck this up. Going to have to edit the ending too. Let me try that one more time. Sorry, Molly. All right. We have reached the end of this episode. Molly, thank you so much for being on this episode and chatting Wakewood with us. Thank you so much for having me. It was awesome time. Now, can I ask, where can folks find you out there online, and uh, what can we keep an eye out for from you in the future? You, probably the best place to find me is on Twitter. It's at bloggingbanshee, or on Instagram, which is at blogging.banshee. I was really original with the names. (laughs) (laughs) And some things to look out for, I, on Certified Forgotten, I have my monthly column examining uterus horror films, um, and I have a, a book coming out but I don't know when that is it's uh, I co-authored the queer horror encyclopedia um I I don't even know if it's coming out this year or next year but I will tweet about it as soon as I know when it is coming out that's amazing congratulations when uh who's putting it out when is it okay you said you don't know when it's coming out but still yeah. like yeah please let us know it's, what it does uh it's by it's gonna be published by McFarland Press they do a lot of uh textbook oh type God. things so it seemed like a, a good organization to be with and there's a, a group of god is it six of us and there are I think 
over 800 entries in the book. It's it's insane how many films we were able to cover with the, within this book. And it's uh, each of us, we what we did is we took on a different film and we would do an individual write-up for each of those films. Some of them are shorter, some longer, depending on the content of the film and just how queer it is. Because uh, we included pretty much everything from films that have a queer character that's at least partially prominent to films that are completely saturated in queerness. So it's, I'm very excited about it. It's going to be a really good piece, especially for horror collectors that like to have all this information about films. I think it's going to be a really awesome thing and hopefully people like it. That is so cool. Congratulations on that. That's amazing. I can't wait to, uh, to get my mitts on a copy. I, I, I remember reading McFarlane stuff like even back in the mid nineties when I was coming up, like reading various film books and whatnot. So yeah, they're very, they're very old and respected press, I believe. Yes. Yes, they are. And it's, it's all thanks to uh, Sean Albee and Tyler. I, I sorry, Tyler, I'm going to say your name wrong. If you're your last name wrong, um, because it looks like dupe, but there's a, there's like a slash over the E. So I, I'm sorry. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. Um, but they were the co-editors on the book and obviously wrote a lot of the entries. And they just did a such a, such an amazing job putting all this together. That's awesome. Well, please let us know when uh, when we can purchase a copy, because I think I speak for all of us here when I say we need one. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, awesome. I definitely will. Thank you. All right. Thank you again for being on the show. We we had a blast chatting with you, and we hope you can come back in the future when Paul and Allie will not be here because I will have booted them off. I'm just kidding. Wow. <laughs> I'm joking. Truth comes out. We'll see how it goes. Then, so. <clears throat> I'm kidding. Allie, Paul, where can folks find you at uh, online? And that, you know what? We do this every week. I'm not even going to prompt you both. Allie, you go first. I was going to say, you got to stop doing this both at the same time because then it's awkward. It's always Although, understood that you go first, though. So, um, yeah. You can find me across all social medias at The Alley Chapel. And next week might be my last episode for a couple of weeks because I will be up north filming a film for three weeks. But I will be sending lots of updates to these two guys. And that's that's kind of it. Follow this me. This is on- entirely oh. news to us. Paul, did you know about this? <laughs> I I'm shocked. Very oh, disappointed. I'm excited. <laughs> Same. I'm so excited for it. <laughs> <laughs> and what did you mean you're not going to be here for a few weeks? We are totally putting the show on hold until you can come back. We're not going to finish out the last run of Hammer without you being oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, sure, yeah. We can't miss The Lodge. I would, like, die. <laughs> the Lodge. Yeah, we're going out on a fun note with that one. Uh, can't wait to dive we'll into the... Fun. I have a good. I have a good story about The Lodge, so... When I saw it at Fantastic Fest, I have a funny story about that. Uh, that yuck fest. That is, uh, it's going to be a blast. <laughs> uh, I might start drinking again for that episode. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> oh, I we should make it a drinking there. game. Yeah, exactly. Take a shot every time you feel insanely depressed. Uh, finish the yep. bottle. We should it's do like, it on video, too. Like, we should actually, like, all see each other for the last Hammer film. Ooh, do video. Okay. Yes. Well, we still we still have, I hope, to put this together. And uh, we'll talk about this more off mic. And uh, Molly, I'll mention it to you as well. But we still could do that one big final hammer 
project to sort of send out this series. So we'll we'll see how that goes. I think it would be we'll fun see. if we did that. We'll so see. we can't just we can't end on the lodge. We just can't. It's a <laughs> we're not going to. We have <laughs> other ideas. Keep it's it fine. going. We, don't worry about no, it. I'm talking about a hammer. The hammer run. We can't we can't end it there. We're not going to. We have something fun planned. You know what? I'm gonna go ahead and say it. We're gonna do it. And it's gonna be huge and it's gonna be fun. And I think it'll be the perfect way to send this off. So yes, okay. that's coming. All right, Paul, how about you? Uh, you can find me at the always modest Twitter handle of Paul is great 2000, uh, where I tweet about horror movies and stuff. That's it. All right. All right. Thanks you both again for co-hosting and thanks to all you listeners out there. As always, please make certain to like, subscribe, share, use the comment section below, scream at us on Facebook and Twitter. That's at Screamatics and I'm at Jinx1981. Until next time, folks, thanks so much and have a great weekend.